It's February 14th, Valentine's Day. Welcome yes. to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Norm, and I'll be your host today because Will is out sick, and I quickly want to introduce our guests today. We have Gary Witta. Hello. And Lloyd Case. Hello. I want to get, get you, let you guys talk as soon as possible, because that, that was weird. Was that a longer that version of the like intro music than usual? It I felt like I, it kind of went around twice yeah, or something. Yeah. I think th- I have either That's wrong definitely or, long. Yeah, that was a weird, a weird extended file. mix or something. Ooh, well, like 12 a, inch. A little bit of bonus. <laughs> the vinyl version. Yes. Yeah. The, the original <laughs> cut. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Okay, I'm awake. That's enough. Uh, there is a podcast today, thank goodness. Uh, last time Will was out, we skipped a week, but we, we got all the technical difficulties sorted out. I'm the only one in the office today, so, I mean, aside from you guys, but Will's out. Joey's sick. They're both sick. Um, yeah, so if Norm suddenly gets up and runs away, it's because we're having a technical issue that he's going to fix. Well, yeah, you know, I'm running the camera. <laughs> yeah, this is completely without a net. There's no one on this side of the, the camera lights, here in the office. We're no the only one. three people in the I, office. I was so. telling you, Gary, earlier that it's like that Star Trek episode, um, Remember Me, I think. Uh, yes, where uh, people start on the Enterprise disappearing. Disappearing. Until eventually it's just Beverly. And it's, it's a micro-universe. Yeah, it's a cool episode. So, like, Will disappeared, and then Joey disappeared, and then it, it's been like this all along. Yeah, I that's, a fr- that's, a gr- that's one of my favorite episodes. Creepy. That's a great episode, yeah. Did you, guys, you remember that episode? I before? vaguely recall it. Uh, all the Beverly episodes were kind of creepy. It's not just <laughs> the fact that people disappear. It's that for the people that remain, they don't see anything wrong. Like no, It comes yeah. down to just her and Picard. And she's like, doesn't it seem weird to you that we're on this huge ship and we're the only two people on the ship? There's no crew. And he's like, we've never needed a crew before. It's just, that's just how it should be to him. And then eventually it's just her. Yeah. And there's that really weird moment where she says to the computer, like, computer, what is the nature of the universe? And the computer says, the universe is a spheroid region slightly larger than this ship. And it's like, the universe is like contracting and getting smaller. Oh, and I got chills it's really cool. about it. Yeah, I think it's a third, maybe a third season. Hmm. Very excited for no, the third yeah, season coming on Blu-ray soon. The first right. really uh-huh. good one. It is, mm-hmm. It's the first good season. We saw the preview of the third season in uh, the second season, Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah. And they were showing off the, like, the interior of the Bork ship and all the matte paintings. And they, there's a lot of digital restoration that goes into that stuff. Yeah. I slogged through the first two seasons of those Blu-rays just to kind of feel like I was having the whole experience. And it's not Star Trek. The first two seasons were not good. No. But historically, very interesting to watch. go back and watch those episodes and see how the show was kind of in its prototypical form back then. And the characters aren't quite where they eventually got to be. The versions of like Picard and Data that we know mm-hmm. today, they were still very, the kinks were all being worked out in like in the first two seasons. So they're we- weirdly different right. versions of those characters. And some of the cast changed over the next Oh season. yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well, you, you had the doctors being swapped The doctors swap, got swapped in and out. And you forget how... Geordi originally wasn't the chief engineer. Oh, that's right. Who, was, the security chief changed? Is that right? Well, yeah, well, yeah, Tashi Yar got killed, killed and Worf got promoted, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of different yeah. uh, changes. Because again, the first two seasons of a show... Yes. Yeah, I mean, just like today, they show, the show is kind of a work in progress... Like, if you go back and watch, like, the 30 Rock pilot, it's really rough compared to what the show eventually was finessed into. Right. And, and they really wanted to make it a Picard-Wesley crusher story. 
in, the, in that first season, how he was going to mentor Wesley, and, right. and, and they abandoned that. When yeah. When nobody liked Wesley. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't no. say that. I didn't say that. Oh, well, that, I, I mean, that, that, that pretty much was a constant yeah. throughout. No. It's not like, oh, season four, that's the one where Wesley gets awesome. But you've that met, never really happens. You've met Will Wheaton, right? He, I have. I played golf with Will Wheaton. I got to sit in a golf cart with him. He was driving, and I said, engage. And he made the golf cart go along. That was one of my favorite moments. And he was a good sport about it? Yeah, he was great. He was, he, it was his idea. Oh. He thought it was hilarious. Either that or he was just being a very good sport. But he yeah, totally outgeeked yeah. me at every point. Like his geek credentials. Well, yes, that's that's his. That's his thing. That, right? But I mean, like I think my geek credentials are pretty good. But like it's like thinking you're pretty good at ping pong until you meet someone who's really good <laughs> and right. you realize you're actually your, not good. Example. I mean, that's that's his. That's how he makes his living. He's living. Oh his yeah, he kicked game. my ass. Yeah. He, I was like, my everything. I everything I would say, he would cut. He would come back with something better. He would one up uh, me geek wise. And eventually, I thought, I thought, okay, I've got a pretty good one here. I said, look, here's my ringtone for my phone and it's the uh, theme tune or the theme from uh, the last Starfighter. It says, greeting Starfighter, you have been accepted by the Star League and so, uh, that's pretty cool, right? Star and he League. said, oh yeah, the last Starfighter, I was in that. And I'm like, you <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> and that, I just gave up after that. Yeah, he, he does a good show with Adam also, uh, Woodstock, it's a uh, yeah. variety show. We yeah. had one at SF Sketchfest. Yeah. Um, we did a video there, and he's, he's cool backstage. I'm supposed yeah. to be on the next season of their uh, tabletop oh. game, but I don't know oh, if yeah. that's ever going to happen. Oh, then that's a perfect the time. Was a vague, there was a vague promise on Twitter from uh, Felicia Day that if they had a second season, well, I would be on Well, you should follow it. up on that. Yeah, I know. Get I can't let that slide. It. Yeah. Have you seen that show, Lloyd? I have. What do, what do you think about it? I think it's a great gateway kind of show. Gateway show. It's very apparently it's way. it's helping to uh, a lot of this stuff like what they're doing and I guess what Dan Harmon does with Harmon Town mm -hmm. and these kind of events um, are legitimizing what traditionally have been right. seen as kind of more the more fringe board games. The yeah. fringe board games are becoming more mainstream. I was listening to a podcast that had the producer I forget his name uh, of of Tabletop, um, one of the producers. He said that their goal was to in fact get people who are like. Uh, PC or video console gamers into the board game hobby and kind of introduce them that way. And also, but also people that think board games are like the game of life, a monopoly, and, yes, risk right. and things like that, right? They don't understand German style board games and, and at Meritrash, even. Remember, though, that risk is not what it once was. Well, risk Whoa. is everything now. Risk Apparently, legacy. they're doing uh, Mass Effect Risk, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know about that. Oh, you, have you finished your first series no, of Risk? No, we're games? only like five games into oh, it. Oh, I, I think my house. Uh, or maybe eight games in yeah. or something. One of the guys bailed out. We're looking for a fifth person to play it. So you, do you know what Risk Legacy is, Gary? Do I want Risk, you know Legacy? Risk Legacy? No, I don't think so. Risk Legacy is a, it's Risk in its combat mechanics, but that's really the only place that it's really like Risk. I mean, the map kind of looks like a Risk board. But every time a game ends, you make permanent alterations to the rules in the game board with stickers and all kinds of stuff. So the game actually evolves. Oh, that's cool. So if you win a game of Risk so you're supposed to technically play with the same four people. Right. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Um, but it, when someone wins, then they are there's the the nerf next next round or something. Right. Or they so it's kind of like power. real. It's like the history of the real world. Like yeah. things don't reset. Like That's historical right. changes stay in and, place. And yeah. The box that the game comes in has envelopes that you're supposed to open at certain points when in the when series. When certain things happen during the series, in the and series it, they can change. And this the is this is role. an official form of risk, or is it not yes. like a user no, no, mod or anything? It okay, it, yeah, it, it's a Hasbro, you know, ship game. The, the, one of the coolest things about it though is underneath the there's sort of box insert. Underneath the box insert, there's one of the envelopes like all the other envelopes you open and says never open this envelope have you opened it no oh. 
That's cool. I, I but, but like you said, it presumably works best or only really works at all if you play with the same group every time. Right. Well, my friend, well, we're not playing with the same group of people, so we've had like maybe 10 people rotate in and out. And so we can say, oh, remember three months ago, this person played and they're no longer in our lives, but they've made their mark on our <laughs> game. But can it not get to a point where one player has dominated so much of the board that it's that starting a new, yeah. new game is really, oh, yeah. players don't really have much of a chance to get back into it? It definitely, definitely yes, can. it can. Yeah. It's kind of like that episode of G.I. Joe that I saw last night. But then when they got happened? sucked into a parallel universe where Cobra had taken over the world. Oh, no. And they were the, Cobra was the government. And the G.I. Joe were like the insurgents. It was, it was cool. Well, yeah, I think it, they're doing something like that in the new, uh, in the new movie. Yeah, I think so like so Cobra good. takes over the it's, White it's House. And stuff. Sequel, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to see that. What were you saying, Lloyd? But, I was going to say, it's, it's, but it's like any other game in which if one person gets a dominant position, everybody gangs up on them. Right. Yeah. It, well, the if, if, hand if, if they can, out. if they can uh, yeah, agree, there, to there do are some that. people who play board games just to see other people lose, n- not to win themselves. Right. Well, that like you. <laughs> well, them losing is the same as me winning. No, but you've said before that it's more important to see other people lose than for you to win. In, I think you've, I think you've said something. You know, and, and, and yes, I, I, I still stand by it. You're like a modern day Sun Tzu. But like all fucked up. <laughs> but th- this is why I prefer. This is why I prefer co-op the games. Of the art of winning. The art. Of winning. That's you should write that book. Build your enemy a golden bridge to retreat across. <laughs> oh, what were you saying again, Luke? I like co-op games better. Co-op games, uh, multi-board games. I, I I find myself, um, at least in the video game world, becoming more attracted to co-op games like we were just saying before talking about mass effect uh like horde mode and mm-hmm. i just started getting into the new man versus machine mode on team fortress i still like to play regular team fortress but i think because when i jump into other games now video games online everyone else is so much better than me that i feel more comfortable having them on my side and being at least the at worst the weak link in the chain well, that's why they're just constantly constantly getting beat the, up the on party by system has worked so well yeah. on consoles because of that yeah because you don't want to play with the, the people are super good, and also the trolls. Well, and when we and we would when we would play Mass Effect, we found that it was much more fun with a controlled group than with whatever randoms yeah. you yeah. picked up. Although I came to Mass Effect Three multiplayer kind of late, like about three or four months ago, and I've become completely hooked on it. Yeah, it's great but fun. I, Have you okay. purchased any of the Spectre packs? Only through fake money. But oh, I've been playing oh no! But we, I, I spent a bunch of real world money. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, I'm playing gold level games now, and it's like pretty intense stuff. And, and the pickup groups have gotten a lot better. There, I think there's a difference in culture also. Because in, in Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, the Xbox people don't play with the people, TC people, don't play with the PS3 people. And I, from for, what I can tell from the forums, the cultures of the different groups are very different. I think that's largely true. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about technology news because this is a, a tech podcast. What's in the news? Uh, well, last week we talked a little bit about the Microsoft Surface Pro. And uh, Microsoft had released it, uh, I think, the day of our podcast. Uh, reviews had come out at least, um, and they were mixed. Uh, That's putting it politely. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's definitely some people who liked it. Uh, have, have you used it, Lloyd? I have. I played with it, but you know, I, I I looked at it the specs when they first came out, mm-hmm. when it first first announcement, and I looked at it, it says by the time this thing ships, they will have shot behind the duck. You know, we actually did this this very podcast also when Will was out when the Surface was mm-hmm. announced. You guys remember that? Right. It was in my living room. Because it was such a big event. Yeah, and, and I, we, I, I, I we were excited. Remember, you know, I was it. really high on it. It sounded like a great idea. Well, we didn't know that the Surface RT, because the big question back then was whether the Surface concept, where you're a tablet first, laptop second, mm-hmm. with the kickstand and theoretically using it on right. a table with this type cover and touch cover, 
whether that would be possible in the ways you would use uh, or feasible in the uh, the ways you would normally use a laptop, right. for example, on your lap. And having used the Surface RT, we knew that wasn't the case. Yeah, like, and in fact, there's some very, very cool convertible laptops that are out there now from Lenovo and HP and mm -hmm. others that are just much more useful as both tablets and PCs. Than and it's interesting because back in, in the time when we were talking about the concept of this, we were saying that the great idea of the Surface is it would, be, it would set the standard for third-party hardware manufacturers to try and emulate. And yes. in fact, it looks like it's probably, if, if, if I were to ask Lloyd, who's the expert, which Windows 8 touch laptop should I go out there and get? I imagine the Surface Pro would be pretty far down yeah, the list. Yeah, what Microsoft did was it came up with this thing way ahead of anybody else's capability to announce anything, right? Because mm -hmm. Windows 8 hadn't, you know, the, uh, the IP bridge was a brand new thing and all the OEMs were still working on their designs. And so they had a kind of a lead in the sense that nobody else had announced their cool stuff. With the possible exception of Lenovo, who had shut off the Yoga 13, you know, back in CES. I mean, yeah, for well. the $1,000 that a Surface Pro costs you, can't you get a, a touch Windows yep. 8 laptop Absolutely. that's better? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah so there you go. But there, there are certain advantages, and because it is lighter if you want to use it as a tablet, but the problem then there is there are no tablet, great tablet apps for Windows in the Windows 8 store. Not yet. Um, I mean, it'll no, at least not yet. Um, and then you, you said that when Microsoft announced, finally, that locked down the specs, mm -hmm. uh, you already felt that it, they would be out of date by the time right. the laptop was, or the, the tablet was released. Why, why is that? Well, because, I mean, you had this thing that weighed two pounds, mm -hmm. right? Had a Core i5. Uh, you, so you knew battery life was going to be a problem right away. And it's Core i5 Ivy Bridge, but not the, right. the not the new uh, uh, the die reduction. N right, the, right, not the not the super low voltage one, right. which is not actually a die reduction. It's just they just reprogrammed the mm. the the. Uh, but that, that one theoretically seventeen watts. Right, but anyway, th th my point is though is is not even that. It's so much that um, they basically spec this thing out as a PC, and and you're looking at that, and it's like, but they're calling it a tablet. And it's not going to work as a pure tablet. It has to be partly a PC just because of the nature of the beast. So it's a big marketing yeah. mis-messaging. Right. Like if you look at all the ads and they do those flashy like Microsoft Surface ads where they really play on the uh, the sound and the, the kickstand. Right. Right. None of that. Uh, I mean, the form factor is the, the only true differentiator of this thing. I mean, it's it, it is kind of cool that you can fold mm -hmm. it up and right. carry it around pretty much like a tablet. Right. The problem is, as, as a lot of people have noticed, that in a lot of use cases, it's actually inferior to a laptop. Like, for example, if you want to put it on a tray yeah. uh, in an airplane seat, mm -hmm. once you take into account the, um, the kickstand the the kick and everything, the footprint of actually is really not. Yeah. You're better off with a regular laptop. Oh, and various yeah. other things like that. It's not as solid on a lap as a real laptop. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if Microsoft looks at the sales you know, in a few months from now and decides if they're going to you know, if there's going to be a Surface Pro 2014, like if they're going to continue to iterate on it, or if they'll just say, eh, it, it kind of did its job to help, you know, kickstart Windows yeah. 8 and leave it at that. Yeah, I think it is, in a sense, a precursor of the form factor, but the actual innards just weren't, they really needed Haswell, and it wasn't going to be there on time. And Haswell's Intel's next-gen chip, right. and that's when you're going to even lower power consumption and right. better graphics. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, I, I, I do think that, um, Third-party manufacturers have done a pretty good job of coming up. I don't know how useful they are, but there's a lot of cool designs out, like the Dell one with the screen that kind of swivels around and the things that you can yeah. fold over and turn into kind of heavy but but still tablet form factor type thing. They're, they're doing some some cool things, but people don't really seem to be responding to Metro, quote-unquote Metro, or the touch element. All the stuff that was supposed to make this razzle-dazzle, what I see in forums and a lot of people talking about Windows 8 is using mods to get rid of the start menu and just talking about Windows 8 really as just a better uh, version of Windows 7. I'm not sure that's entirely true. A lot of the people, several of the people I know that are very skeptical about to touch on, on a Windows laptop 
and become complete converts because they realize that a touchscreen does not replace your pointing device. Yeah, it's, right? it's a complementary. Except in the Microsoft <laughs> world. But anyway, but like you buy a Lenovo convertible or an HP convertible, and you always have a touchpad, or you on a desktop system with a touchscreen monitor, you'll still have a mouse. And I think that the the screen what the screen becomes is it becomes a quick and dirty way just to launch stuff. You just reach out and swipe and tap and then or scroll. All you, yep. Scrolling. I, I I have sent back the Lenovo uh, yoga laptop that they sent over for review, and I really miss having that touchscreen on. Just, just for web browsing, not in any type of dedicated Metro interface or anything, but just in a web browser, in a Google Doc, being able to scroll up and down by touching the screen, because that's, a, that's right. the interface. It's a language that I'm used to now. Right. Um, so over the weekend, the report was that Surface Pros have been, were selling out everywhere. That no, uh, either they, uh, the retailers did not have enough in stock, or that the demand was really high uh, for them. Well, the question um, is, do they only make 100 of them? Uh, well, <laughs> people called around right. and said Best Buy's had one or two, right. and, and Microsoft stores didn't actually have them on, right. on the day they, they were, uh, it was supposed to be in stores. Right. But no one could find them, but people did want them. And it seemed like the Microsoft fans were waiting for this. Was, this was the people who understood what this was supposed to be. A lot of people holding out for the fully functioned version. Getting that one and, and not the RT. And, and I can imagine the return rates probably be much lower on the Surface Pro than, yeah, than on the than on Because at the very least, it is actually a Windows PC. But it's again, it's interesting because at least with the RT, there isn't really a Windows... There aren't, there aren't really a lot of Windows 8 tablets out there that you would compare it against. But once you go into the $1,000 price point of a full PC, like I said, there's a lot, there of, a lot, of, a lot of better yeah. uh, full-featured laptops out there. Right. And not many RT ARM you know, Windows 8 products at all. Right. So in, in that sense, Microsoft failed using the Surface RT as their... As a, as a push to get OEMs to adopt and build and build tablets because we didn't see many of those at CES. No. Um, of, of all the different Surface uh, or uh, the Microsoft Windows 8 hybrid designs, which one do you think uh, has the best future? Um, I think eventually the detachable ones. Okay. But, but, but when I say detachable, I mean with like a real keyboard. So like the, the well, there are there are. And there are, yeah, there are some versions of that, right? But I think, I think in the long term, that's what you'll see. You'll see something. And the real keyboard, interestingly enough, uh, I think doesn't have to be a physical connection. It can become Bluetooth or some other wireless. Huh. But it has to be a physical keyboard, not, a, not one of those touch cover things. Yeah, the, ta the, uh, the touch cover keyboards have not been as good as we hoped right. they would be. Some I, people really hate them. I think that what we're finding out is that the defining attribute of a laptop is having a really strong hinge and having... Right. A, a foldable hinge that you can manipulate and use in any, in, so you can type and look at the screen in any place. Right. Yeah, and the Lenovo Twist uh, is another interesting option in the fact, the way that uh, it's different than the Yoga and that the screen twists around, and so mm -hmm. you don't have the situation where your keyboard's uncovered when you're laying it flat. Okay. And so I think that, that th that's another option that'll be interesting for just uh, more of a pure laptop than a tablet hybrid thing. Well, uh, yeah, well, hopefully Microsoft will will do well and we'll see more Windows 8 laptops right. this year. Um, I want to talk about next-gen consoles. Okay. Now, uh, Lloyd, you've been following up on um, you know, AMD and APU design. Right, right. There's no, we, 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 I want to preface this by there's been no confirmation of these rumors, but there have been a lot of very detailed leaks. Apparently I got to say, I was just reading up on the, the latest um, 
uh, I think it was Kotaku, one of the websites mm -hmm. this morning had a had a really detailed spec. I mean, right. almost like they had the machine right there. And I, in, in, in all the years, I don't think I've seen such detailed leaking of a new console. Yeah, what's fascinating to me is how PC-like these new consoles are. Well, not, not just in the, the look of them for the dev kits, but right. in terms of their internal stuff. Well, the dev right. kits always just yeah. look like yeah. tower PCs. So but. we can expect that Microsoft and PlayStation will both have new consoles this year. Right. Nintendo had the, its new console last year. Mm -hmm. um, and Microsoft, I think the code name is Durango. Is, I believe is, that's right. Is what everyone says it is. And PlayStation will know soon because that Orbis. announcement, Orbis. Is what the PlayStation code, oh, okay. for code name is Orbis. Orbis and Durango. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what PlayStation, Sony's next console will look like. No, in less than a week. Right. On the 20th right. uh, in New York. Um, so it makes sense like, leading up to that announcement. And, and it's been so many years since the last console right. launch. Uh, the big console launch for both these companies. Um, that there would be some leaks out because they must have developer hardware out there. Uh, what have you guys heard? Well, the interesting rumor is that all of them will have, all of them, both of them will have AMD APUs. That is, they'll be x86 compatible, eight, eight CPU cores, and a variable number, a different number of uh, GPU cores, depending on... So, so explain to the listeners out there what an APU is and how this differentiates from, is different from a PC and a previous console. So an APU is AMD's term for a CPU that has both better graphics and eventually will have other types of accelerated hardware built in. On one, on one die. On one die. So there's no discrete GPU. This is all in That's correct. They have, they have equivalent of, a, of, a low, of an entry-level or sometimes low-mid-range uh, GPU cores. The number of cores. Like the, I think the 5800, which is the highest-end desktop part, has got like uh, 384. Maybe so we're back. We're, are we are we back in the days of integrated graphics? That almost sounds weird to me. Well, integrated graphics are get, have been getting better. For example, like Ivy Bridge and Sandy Bridge right. from Intel, both have integrated graphics. Intel 4000, which can do things like World of Warcraft and right. Team Fortress 2, and Haswell is supposed to have even. I know, but for that. consoles, uh, which are all about right. graphics, mm -hmm. you want to you you're not going to want to compromise there. Well, I mean, remember that there are several points here. First of all. Even if they're using uh, only 400 Radeon cores or 384 or whatever the number is, depending yep. upon yep. Which, which system you're talking about, it's still a lot better than what's out there now, right? The, also, the target system is a 1080p display, so you don't, you're right. not pushing a lot of pixels. Yeah. Um, and then the third point is, even though it may be PC-like in the processor it's using, it's still going to be, everybody's going to be writing directly to the metal as opposed to having an OS layer and abstraction layers and all this kind of stuff. A little more efficient use of the, the hardware. Right. So some specific things I read just this morning about the new Xbox, um, a couple of things that were interesting. And there's a whole other discussion about everything having to be uh, registered online so the used game market's going to go away. That's, a, that's a, another very interesting mm -hmm. separate discussion. But in terms of the hardware, at least, um, I thought it was interesting. And again, these are all just rumors, but they seem to be they, they seem to be on a more solid foundation than the speculation we usually see. And they they seem to be consi like consistently backing each other up. Like this site right. has seen the same thing as this site. Um, a couple of things interesting that I thought saw today about the new Xbox Connect packed in. Every Xbox will have it, and you have to plug it in. It's as, mandatory. A, as a separate unit, but, a new, but it's a new it's a second generation new kind of Connect, which yeah. hopefully is more functional than the piece of shit connect that currently <laughs> exists, which I think is worse than useless. When I, I think they'll have that. Uh, well, when I was at the Microsoft Build Con Conference, they were showing some interesting concepts using PCs rather than Xboxes of how they are improving the UI side of it. Yeah. So I think there's going to be some better meat the, there. The promise of it is still tremendous, but right now it's still more trouble than it's worth, I think. I don't think it, 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 it's what anywhere near fine enough to really add much to games, and it ends up just being a pain to and, me And sometimes. you know the, the, uh, the resolution of the Kinect that can be improved just with algorithms right. and software. Right. You don't need to add more LED lights and, and infrared um, mm -hmm. sensors. Um, but the latency is a big problem with the current Connect. Right? I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm willing to believe that the new Connect 
hardware and software wise is a big step forward and hopefully actually you know fulfills the promise of the original one and it actually helps makes game actually does make games better with Kinect. Well, it's which built in. so far is a lie and yeah. has been all along. It's not just going to be another six axis style right. you know, add on. But what's interesting is the standardization. Remember the, when the last Xbox came out because there were these different SKUs. Right. There were the there were these weird there wasn't just one standard base. Like, does this game, does this have Connect? Well, maybe some people have it. We don't know. So Connect supports kind of eh. um, hard drives. Some consoles had them, others didn't. Right. right. Uh, and connectivity. Some a lot of Xboxes are not connected to the internet. So that's a feature that game that that designers kind of always rely on. The new Xbox, again, according to rumor, Connect mandatory, internet connection mandatory, hard drive built into every unit. So game developers can finally target all of those things and yep. not have to design around the, the, those few consoles out that may not still have that, that, that functionality. Yep. So that's cool. And mm -hmm. internet connection mandatory ties into the whole uh, no, no backward compatibility and, and no use games. Right? Well, so the big, the big scandal, of course, a lot of people are, are, are having conniption fits about this. Oh my God, if I can't sell my old games or go to, go to GameStop and buy old games, if the used market's being phased out, then that's a real problem for me. Of course, you know... PC users have been used to that for a while. Yeah, and, I mean... It, it's weird, isn't it, how a lot of a lot of gamers out there say, like, well, I want my ecosystem to be more like Steam. Well, guess what? Steam doesn't allow for used games either. Right. Yeah. Um, and anyone, and uh, you know, Journey or The Walking Dead or any popular game that you might download, you you can't sell that onto well, the, the next person. The difference that Steam has in terms of their economics, they reduce the price of their games and make it that much more attractive for you to... Not at first release, though. Not at first release. But they do have very deep, deep discount sales they, every they do. year. And Microsoft never has any of that. Or, or, so I think, I think it's something that people are going to complain about, but I, I think it's, it's the wave of the... It's, you're not yeah. going to be able to stop this tidal wave. This is... Too many publishers and developers want this to happen. Yeah, yeah if Microsoft is willing to step up and adopt the Steam model in the sense of having variable pricing over time, then people will complain less. I think there's a, a, a big problem that people have reconciling the fact that when you buy something tangible, like a disc, mm -hmm. you think that you own not just a license, which technically what you, is what you're buying, you're playing a license to yeah. play the game, but th there is data on that disc that you own. Right. I can't remember which game it was, but it was a game that I bought last year that uh, it came with a disc, Physical DVD, disc, yeah. and you install it, and all it did was connect to Steam and start downloading the game. There was actually nothing on the disc other than On this. the physical disc. Yes. Yeah. But, but on the other side, there are also publishers who pack in DLC on the disc, but don't let you unlock it until, until you, you pay, pay for it. For it. Okay. So can you, th I mean... Or if you're the first user. You know, you can unlock it if you're the first user, right. but if you resell the game, you'll have to pay money. I mean, we're already halfway there with the multiplayer functionality of a lot of games. Like you buy Mass Effect, do you want to play it online? You've got to type in a code, and that mm -hmm. code is locked to you. When I sell right. that game on, they're going to have to go, go and buy a, a, a discrete code to use the multiplayer part right. of it. And so this is just going to apply to all. And I, again, I think people are going to be really upset. People will say, "Oh, boycott! We're not doing this." But it's going to happen. Well, then there's so. the whole thing with Dead Space Three, right? You're spending sixty dollars for this game that you can do in-app purchase to to accelerate your process through play through the game. In in the game. In the game. That's yeah. I mean, they'll find whatever way they can to get to get more money out of you. Um, let's talk back to the hardware. You think that they're going to target 1080p native? Yes. And then and then upscale up, and but. 4K is not going to be a factor for a long, long time. See, to me, I feel like the the hardware is the, by far the least interesting part of this. Like, if if you look at the current generation, if someone said to me, "Should I get a PS3 or an Xbox?" Mm -hmm. All of my and you know, then you ask a bunch of questions, right? To like kind of tailor, well, what kind of you know experience right. do you want to have? With the exception of the Blu-ray player, none of my questions would be about. 
the hardware because it's pretty much a push. Xbox, yeah. PlayStation, the games are pretty. The games look pretty much the same. It's a question of what kind of games do you like, where the exclusives are, Blu-ray. What do you want to pay for multiplayer? What kind of ecosystem? What kind of experience do you want to have? But the hardware is is kind of a push, and I think it's going to be the same. Yes, I think we can take for granted the next two next two consoles are going to be far more powerful but they'll probably be roughly the same and again it will come down to do you want to pay for multiplayer do you care about used games right. do you want to what do you want to watch blu-rays and that, that it's the experience we talk about this before, we talk about this in cell phones and stuff all the time right it's much more about yeah. user experience than specs and i think that's going to be true of consoles as well what the I, specs what, will be roughly the same right. they'll have different hardware destinations different paths of hardware different architectures but you put the just like with the current PS3 and Xbox 360, you put two games up next to each other. They're going to look roughly the same. But how you experience the game, how you buy it, what kind of multiplayer options, the experience stuff is where the two consoles will be really differentiated. Because I think they're going to have radically different approaches this generation. Well, I do think though that one aspect of the hardware being similar, the internal mm -hmm. hardware, is that cross-platform development from the developer's point of view will be a lot easier than it used to be. I mean, you've got the same CPU targets slightly different graphics, but they're the same architecture for graphics. So you just have to do things like alter your texture resolutions. You don't have to worry about the binary differences between them and stuff like that. Wouldn't it be great if Sony and Microsoft could sit down and just have, <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> just have, a, just have a detente on one thing and say, look, pe like, people love like, cross-platform play. Like, like, so Mac, Borderlands 2 is coming out for the Mac and you'll be able to play with PC people. We love that. Why can't they say, look, we'll have our little war, but wouldn't it just be great for everyone if when you jump into Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, the, the, the player base is PS3 and Xbox, and it's all, all one big happy family. Rather ally with all one big, big happy family of adolescent racists. <laughs> <laughs> they rather ally with the PC side, which PlayStation has kind of tried, tried to do, you know, cross-platform PC PlayStation play, but we, that's never taken off. Right. Um, and I think the hardware being on this parody and hardware does make more sense this generation around. Last generation, we had cross-platform games where people would just do comparisons between you know, how bad one game, like Rage, would look on one game, right. or one console versus the other. But like, you go to Digital Foundry and these sites that, like, whenever, so I remember like, when L.A. Noire came out, yeah. and I kind of went back and forth on which version, which version should I play. And sometimes some games have more egregious differences than others depending on what the, what the target, plat what the native platform was and which one was ported. But for the most part, I look at these screenshots and I'm like, I really can't tell the difference. Like, yeah. it's such a minor thing. And in the end, it came down on, on LA Noir. I think it came down to, like, at least on the on the PS3 version, it was just one disc, and there was no disc swapping. Right. Uh, but again, it's where you, it, it's it's things that have nothing to do with hardware. It's where your friends are. Who you know? Who do you want to play with? How do you want to play the game? How how many games are available in the various different stores? I think one thing that the console companies, uh, console game developers, haven't experimented much with, much with, and what's been very successful on the PC side has been the whole free-to-play model. That's, that's been sort of the savior of the PC gaming market, I think, in a lot of respects. I mean, League of Legends is probably the biggest game in the world right now, Yeah, uh, just in terms of the and number of players. And it's free-to-play. And it's free-to-play. And, and they've well, innovated. It, again, it's technically free-to-play, yes. but if you really want to play it, you're going you're gonna to have but to But they've innovated. Even if you're playing and not paying for it, you're still going to get a different experience over time because they have these methods of you know, rotating characters in and out of the free-to-play part of the game. Right. So you do get, you, I mean, it keeps people hooked right. on to that ecosystem. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, and, and same thing with Planet Side. I don't know if you played any Planet Side, but it's free-to-play. But it's great because the people who are playing for free, they're the fodder for the people who are paying. <laughs> and, and it just solves an AI problem. Yeah, uh, it builds that world. Very true. It's like slave labor. Yeah. Who needs bots? You <laughs> just have players, <laughs> players so for much free. Fun. It's yeah. so much fun. Um, so, I mean, we'll find out what next PlayStation is going to look like 
in a week, and then Xbox. That's I think Xbox will probably wait for E3. E3, yeah, not GDC next month. No, it's not. The, I don't think it's the right venue. Microsoft really likes their big E3. Well, event. they'll have some. They'll have some stuff for the developers. They'll be talking about it in a generic kind of way. I think. I'm right. surprised Sony's going this early. I mean, they, not that it makes much of a difference because they think it's it's too late for any of the either company to kind of react to what the other either one shows. Like the hardware is pretty much locked and everything else. But Sony's showing its hand pretty early. Right. Everyone was really surprised by this announcement. One, one interesting question to ask is, as a game platform, not as a multimedia platform for watching movies and all that stuff, but just as a game platform, how relevant are consoles today uh, going forward? Because everybody's playing on different stuff now. I mean, mobile gaming is huge now, and PCs have the free-to-play model that's been very successful for them. And so, you know, how long will the business be able to sustain $60 console titles and, and well, mobile gaming is huge, but that's a going. It's building an audience that wasn't there before, not necessarily taking away. I think from tablets are different beast. I, I agree with you on the phone side, but for tablets, I think we're seeing people who are just playing tablet games now, who are pretty hardcore gamers, and some of the games that are out there are pretty good on tablets. I think people, you know, still want to sit down and have a really rich experience on their big screen, and the, and yeah. the dedicated consoles are still going to be best for that. But I agree that there's more competition coming, like whether it's Ouya whether it's whatever Apple does next. I think at some point there's going to be an Apple TV type set-top box that also plays apps, which means right. games. Um, Steambox, whatever happens there. There's the, 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 the I don't think the competition in this next generation is going to be as simple as Microsoft versus Sony versus Nintendo. There's going to be a whole new wave of players this well, over well, the coming years. Let's talk about Steambox and what Valve might be doing because they're, the, they're, they're the, the, the mystery here. And if they do come out and all signs point to them doing some type of hardware launch you know, in the near future, uh, what, what can they do that's different? Are you thinking they're just going to launch an actual piece of hardware that people buy, or are they just going to launch a spec and say, go build it? Well, what was out to CS was a spec and hardware right. partners, yeah. um, whether it's XI3 or other, other manufacturers that will run uh, Steam for Linux and have some type of parity. Um, but I think they're going to do some, some hardware themselves. Um, my, my one, one yeah, I mean, they're hiring I, people. Yeah, right. Oh, they also well, let, they also some, fired a bunch of people. They also let some people go. Including so. some hardware people, yeah. so, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. yeah, so who knows what's really going on. I, yeah. mean, part, I mean, part of the problem with something like a Steam box on your TV is always the, the controller. And I saw you know, mock-ups of like some kind of hybrid controller that had like a, a trackball built into the controller that could function as a, as right. kind of a mouse equivalent. But yeah. part of the reason, I, I had my PC, I, I took my gaming PC downstairs and plugged it into the big screen, and I love playing on the big screen with the really rich, you know, because you can really right. crank up the, the detail and frame rates, even though it's still locked to 1080p, it's a really great experience. And you realize just how small a gaming monitor is compared to like your big screen TV. But I never could find a comfortable solution for a mouse and a keyboard. Yeah. And sometimes for a game like SimCity, I don't really want to play that in my living room. I want to lean That's forward lean and have board. it on my desk. So yeah. eventually I took my PC yeah. back, back well, upstairs. Well, one of the things, uh, you know, for certain, for action games, of course, it's fine. You just get an Xbox controller for Windows. In, yeah. And I uh, use that. Uh, in fact, it was interesting. I was fooling around with building a, a sort of a Steam box just to see how it would work out. One of the disappointments that I had was the Xbox 360 for Windows game controller shows up as a hid device. In other words, it's just sort of a standard uh, Windows-based controller, but it won't work with the Windows interface. See, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not even willing to make the compromise that you made. When I, I played Mod Warfare 3 on my big screen, but I, I, I uh, sat, sat at, my, at my coffee table with a keyboard and a mouse because... 
I'm not willing to make that. One of the right. great things I love about PC, for, I, I grew up on PC first-person shooters mm-hmm. and keyboard and a mouse. I'm sorry, it will just always be superior. Even and RPGs. I'm not going to compromise and pick up a, a gamepad. I, I, you know, I played Halo 4. I love that game to death. That game is optimized for, contro- for, for a controller. That's the only way to play it. And so I'll happily, comprom- I'll happily play that. But when I know mouse and keyboard's available, yeah. I'm not picking up a controller. When you say optimized, it's the level design. Like, you know, right. Levels are a little more cramped. You're not well, and they also build in some, some aiming, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. aim, aim shot stuff to, to help you a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but I, I just felt silly sitting there. It just didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel natural. They don't, we've seen lap boards and various, no one's ever really cracked that. So unless you unless you are comfortable, I guess many people Although are the these be, days. The best solution on a I've, I've seen is actually these things they sell not as a gaming accessory but as a home theater accessory, and they're called couch tables, right? Mm-hmm. And these little things are table, and one end of it kind of slides under your chair or couch, and the other end kind of hangs over the edge, and you have a little table that's actually pretty solid. Yeah, I, I looked into yeah. something like that, and I never found something that really worked for me. But or I something mean, that's... you can easily you know, move to the side of the room or right. won't take up a lot of space. Right. Yeah, but some of these are actually pretty neat, and some of them rotate out of the way and stuff like mm. that. So, it, it's the the future. But, and, and of course, the other problem is one again. One of the really great advantages of of PCs is being able to play games in really really high resolution, and right. you're going to be locked on a bit. When 4K TVs come out, then that'll be a different story. But for right now, you still have the advantage of the super fast frame rates and the really really high detail, but you're still locked at a much lower resolution than. On my 27-inch monitor, I'm playing. A, I'm playing a game at like two and a half times the resolution. But you're also sitting further away from the TV, so you don't notice the detail. I guess. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the quality of the panel does matter a lot. But on the other hand, I mean, when you're sitting uh, a foot and a half or two feet away from a 20, 30-inch panel, that's pretty much the same sort of visual experience you would get on a 60-inch TV at eight feet. Yeah. So, so what do you guys think about um, then something like the Oculus Rift, which is both a new way to look at the, I as a panel it, and also a, a new control mechanism? You're talking about the headset, right? Yeah, the headset, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's actually one of the best executed. If they actually can scale up the manufacturing, that's one of the best executed things I've seen. It's pretty impressive. Well, they've, you know, there are tens of thousands pre-ordered already. Right. Um, so, and they're getting them out in, in a month. Right, so I'm one of those. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. very excited. I've always been skeptical about those headsets. I mean, even that most recent Sony one that that, that we tried was mm-hmm. was just terrible. It, but well, I, I think the con- again with the right engineering, the right execution, it's going to be fantastic. And it sounds like the Oculus is by far the closest they've come to that. I mean, both in terms of the motion control and also the immersive uh, viewing experience. Right. So you don't yeah. see you see very little. Yeah. I've, y- I've yet to yet to hear from one person who actually tried one on who said who said anything other than wow that was really great. It's going to force developers to change the way they not only design games but also do the art for the games too. I think we're going to see because textures just look terrible when you look at the Oculus because you notice details that much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they get somehow get a 1080p panel in there, it, everything's going to look a little fuzzy because you're looking that much closer. Right. The demo they did was the Epic Citadel demo, which the textures don't look bad in that. But when you're walking around, you look at a, a basket of fruit in, in that demo, right. it, you can see that it's, you know, it's just a, a flat texture on, on, right. on, sort on of the like, surface. Sort of like watching The Hobbit in 48 frames a second. You, you, notice, <laughs> you notice some more details. Yeah. Um, if you guys were to design something like a game for an Oculus Rift, what, what, what would you do? Uh, I, my uh, game What's for an Oculus Rift? game? Uh, some kind of RPG, probably. So, some type of um, roguelike? No, no, an actual hardcore RPG, you know, uh, Skyrim, but hopefully not set in a place. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what type of game is best suited, but it seems like it's very well suited for just anything in a first-person right. perspective oh, seems appropriate. Right. Yeah, and and you know, multiplayer RPG, not an MMO, but an actual like multiplayer through the story kind of thing. I, I think that just like with the first apps that came out for iOS, 
Oculus Rift is going to have a tens of thousand, maybe hundred thousand user base right. at, at Go. There goes the audio. Um, but I, I, there's going to be a big gold rush for app right. developers and, and game developers, and whoever does the first temple run for Oculus Rift, for first person temple yeah. run, that's going to be a big. Well, I don't know if, no, no, if necessarily it's going to be about game developers writing games just for the Rift, or if like the next Elder Scrolls game simply has a Support. mode that's opt opt optimized for right. it. They probably wouldn't have to do very much. They'd just they, they actually, change with they the do. field of view and a few other things, but it seems like it wouldn't be difficult to bring over. See, that, that's where I think that developers are going to find that they're very surprised. I think they, they have to do a lot of things. For example, the point of view stuff, right? The being able to turn your head, that's actually not a trivial thing. It's not like using your mouse. Yeah, because right? so. you're not going to be pointing your gun where your eyes are looking. Right. Um, and also the, the UI stuff, as opposed to being in the peripheral, it's going to have to be more center-focused because mm -hmm. you're not going to want to have to dart your eyes around the screen just to look at your health and, and your inventory. Well, I think the Oculus guys would, would – I think it would be a smart move for them to be talking to some uh, people uh, like Bethesda and Ian and people yeah. like that well, saying, what do we need to do to get you to, to, to put an Oculus mode in your next like, AAA game? Well, and one who buys an Oculus Rift gets a copy of Doom BFG optimized for Oculus. Right. right. And I think, we'll, I think you will see more things like that. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's switch gears just a little bit, but talk about uh, PC hardware because we we're talking about AMD earlier right. and, and the APUs. But there was word also last week that a roadmap for AMD was kind of leaked, and they are not apparently not doing any new GPUs this right. year. Uh, They're sticking with the 7000 series, um, which did okay last year. Uh, but you know, they need to cut the price if they can do that. But that's that's my only um, that's my only serious comment about that in terms of actual what they need to do with the 7000. What I think is going on, though, is that they're in two major console releases. Uh, I think they're just resource constrained, personally. I mean... Because you got to think a couple years ago, when they were playing the roadmap, they had something past the current... Oh, yeah, and they still do. And they still do. They're just, they're just pushing it out to the fall. I mean, building, the building the components that go into the next generation of consoles, there's got to be more... There's got to be more money in that than just oh, building yes. discrete GPUs right. for yeah. PCs. There right? was one estimate... There one, are all the consoles. Now. Right, yeah. yeah. One estimate, one analyst uh, had up on uh, one of his slides that said that the console business would account for 20% of AMD's business next year. Wow. I mean, they're not doing so great in the CPU side. No. And, uh, and so... For people who have, you know, who are AMD fans, who use the 7000 series. How does that compare now? Uh, we haven't do, done benchmarks so for your cards. So, in for terms a, a of while. performance, mm -hmm. uh, stock 7000, 7970, excuse so that's me. That's the high-end single GPU. Yeah, that's what giga, I have in my What PC. they call the gigahertz edition is roughly equivalent in performance to a stock GTX 680. Okay. In just performance. And 680, that's NVIDIA's, that's the that's Kepler. Right, current current high-end Kepler, right. Single right. GPU. Now, there are other differences that are more important to some people, like the Kepler is quieter, mm -hmm. uses less power. Mm -hmm. So those are all kind of cool things. But in terms of just raw performance, they're roughly the same, and that, give or take. And, now that, and again, just like the PS3 and the Xbox, that's been the status quo for a long time. I always had the impression, just as a kind of a casual observer of this, I'm not like hardcore Mr. Hardware upgrade every year, but it seemed like for the, I, I've used NVIDIA cards and AMD, uh, cards. and AMD cards. I've gone back and forth just depending on whatever I can lay my hands on. Yeah. Um, but it's always seemed like for the longest time, AMD and NVIDIA have basically been in a very evenly matched arms race for the longest time. Like right. NVIDIA will come out with the latest hot card and they'll be the they'll have the card to beat for like six months and then it will switch because AMD will cut will leapfrog them a little bit with the next AMD card and then NVIDIA again and back and forth. But it seems like maybe that's changing. They're very reactive companies, both yeah. in terms of well, design I, and pricing. I was because I mean, you know, it's not like one company has got like secret technology the other one doesn't have. I mean, again, they're, they're basically con constrained by what's possible right. in Physics. terms of right. uh, you know yeah. silicon and what they can really do. They've just got slightly different approaches. Right. But I was talking to a good friend of mine in the gaming press recently who's pretty up on all this and said basically 
in the future, at least in terms of like the discrete GPU for PC gaming market is concerned, it's going to be all NVIDIA. Like AMD is going to fall away. And I don't know if that's true, but he seemed uh, very, uh, and Lloyd, you very, think that, very yeah. uh, confident in that prediction. That would only happen if AMD doesn't cut their prices dramatically. Right. I think they need to do that. And, I, you know, you got to also think about where the PC gaming market is in terms of the games. I mean, there are hardcore guys that want to have three GPUs in their system to play with all the AI on. But, in fact, most of the market is two to $300, actually $200 GPUs. Yeah. And, you know, and if you're playing on 1080p monitor and you're willing to not have AA, then a $200 GPU is all you're going to need from whatever, whichever company. I think the last two briefings I took from AMD were both for not new hardware, but for game bundles. Right. And they're really cutting down on price and also partnering with publishers just to bundle in games. So Some really, really, $200 including games. games that don't ship yet. I mean, it's not like, it's not like they're, you know, in the old yeah. days you get a bundle and it was like a year old game. Mm-hmm. But now they're, they're pretty much cutting edge games. So that could be a model that works. Um, so in terms of the NVIDIA side then, what's the status of NVIDIA? I mean, Fermi, which was a, a 500 series, was really hot and, right. and Oh, loud, Kepler, and Kepler, Kepler is, is an awesomely power-efficient part, relatively speaking, for the size of the die and all that kind of stuff. And the release model's been very similar to their traditional. They mm-hmm. launched at the 80 series, 680, right. mm-hmm. which is the high-end single GPU. Right. Then they kind of roll out like the one step down, right. 670, and then they, they do... Um, they cut some cores and they do some low, like some budget ones. Right. And their TI series. Right. And so that's pretty much what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. So they they have the full from one hundred fifty all the way to four hundred dollar range video cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and and these are the cards that will run. I mean, Nvidia is it's, it's they're not resting on their laurels. They're also doing the Project uh, Shield stuff. Right. Which will require um, a six hundred series video card. Mm-hmm. And then if you can get one for one hundred fifty, two hundred dollars, two hundred thirty dollars. And that's that's not a bad deal if you're interested in, in Shield and doing remote gaming. Right. Although I I'm, I'm still not completely convinced sold on Shield, however. Are both NVIDIA and AMD not doing the dual dual GPU on um, both of them have dual GPU AMD just really quietly started shipping sixty nine ninety cards. Seventy nine ninety cards, excuse right. me. And NVIDIA's been shipping their GTX six ninety for a while now. Six ninety is a thousand dollars. Well yeah, it's not cheap. Neither of them are cheap. If you're building this PC and you want to have two GPUs, do you prefer doing a single card with two GPUs or putting well, two cards? Depends on, a lot depends on the constraints of the system, right? If I have a big enough case, I'd rather put in multiple GPUs. Um, if I have a relatively small case, as long as it still has good cooling, mm-hmm. uh, a dual GPU card is maybe better. Uh, you have to ask the question is, what are you displaying it on? You know, If you're doing triple monitor stereoscopic stuff, two or three GPUs start to make sense. If you're just playing on a 1080p monitor, I'm, I'm sorry, but a single 680 is probably plenty for what you need. You know, we know that sounds like overkill yeah, for exactly. 1080. And we know people who, you know, in, in the gaming press and tech press who, you know, uh, get video cards for review, and so they have the systems with right. $1,000 GPUs, right. and like you load, you have three 30-inch monitors in your, in your home. Right, but I should also add that I have this um, LAN party group that meets every right. Friday night, and all the systems the guys are playing on basically have uh, mid-range or high mid-range GPUs. They don't have the you know That's the 500 the GPUs. I don't know anyone in the real world. Maybe someone I've met on the forum, but in the real world, who pays more than six hundred dollars for a GPU? Well, I mean, Jesus Christ! Even that, even that sounds even that sounds yeah. crazy. I mean, I think people like us who have a little bit of the kind of the Tim Taylor, you know, oh oh oh, you've got to have the most powerful mm-hmm. card. You've got to have the top end. Are kind of outliers and. As you say, I think where the money's to be made and where the mass market is, especially now as people are plugging in their pieces into the TV where you're locked to 1080p and you don't need, you don't need that much power comparatively, 
it's those mid-range cards where people because the, the GPU is by far the most expensive single component when you build a PC, right? Right. There's, there's right. really anything that comes close. In performance terms of for what you use it for. Right. Yeah, but like so, there, there are always going to be people that are like, well, I just want all the overhead. I want the most powerful thing possible but most people are like well I just need this card is more than good enough for me like for a couple of hundred bucks it's gotta be like the, the Bill Gates and the Rum Williams of the world who could spend three thousand dollars just on video cards you know, and, and they probably don't even have the best monitor they're like oh it's right. because that's what they, they got their buyer to buy um, I, I think you're right about the living room and that being the priority as something that's quiet is a huge priority for people in my office something that's quite it's funny uh, one project I did while I was at PC World was I took a really old Pentium 4 system and put Windows 8 on it just to see if it could be done. Mm-hmm. But what was striking about that is that uh, this had been sitting back in my back room. My was it a clean, uh, clean install? Oh, or yeah. Uh, no, yeah. But the, my point about this was this was sitting in my back room for like five years. I hadn't done anything with it, right? So I take it out and I plug it in and I up and I couldn't believe how loud it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like compared to my current system, it was it was like listening to, you know, putting a blow dryer. Yeah, how here. easy we forget. I mean, if I think back, I remember when I used to have like an old Pentium 90 back in the day and you turn it on and it is like a leaf blower. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they weigh, and they weighed a ton. I mean, they were just ugly as shit. I was watching, for some reason, I was watching Napoleon Dynamite last night. You know, <laughs> why would you do that? Because it's a great movie. I love Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. And, um, you know, his brother, yeah. who's always in the online chat rooms, is using a computer at home, which is pretty typical of the time, like whatever it was 10 years ago when that movie was made. And it's a it's massive, just huge, ungainly beige block with a massive CRT right. monitor. That my God, that's what computers look like just ten years ago. It's yeah. insane. I mean, my my current system is a pretty high end system. I mean, uh, my, my actual production system, you know, six core processor, uh, dual GPU card, all that jazz. And when I turn it on, I can barely hear it running. Yeah, that's, uh, that's acoustics like, is pro- a huge priority for people, and also the actual physical volume, the size of that PC. Mm-hmm. I think I, I heard from someone that 40% of the PCs that OEMs are selling now are now small form factor. Right. I, was talking, I was talking to Kel Reeves, and he said their, their Tiki system yeah. is selling like gangbusters. It's starting to actually have you, start have you to seen the, Gary, have you seen this? Falcon Northwest. Um, they, they traditionally made the highest Is the PCs. Tiki the one that's the really little, bo- the small no, box? No, the, the, the frag box was Falcon. Right, right. right. The Tiki this is different. one, it's, it's tall. It's a micro tower. Oh, it's, no, I've seen it. I looked yeah. into that. And you know what? It has the ugliest base. It looks like this marble, gaudy marble column base. Well, they have they have they have two different colors, so you know you don't have to get the really brightly colored oh, one. Oh, <laughs> even the dark one. It, I, 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 I saw it. But there's, it has a practical purpose. It's heavy so that the tower doesn't tip over if you use it in tower mode. It's hard to it, it's hard to build yes. or buy, I think, an attractive desktop PC when you build your own. You either, you either go for like the really plain case, which basically on the out like on the outside those those ATX tech cases. Haven't really haven't really changed. They still look like PCs from ten or fifteen years ago. Just a just a bland black or beige yeah. case with very little bells and whistles. Uh, or you buy one of these really obnoxious Alienware Falcon Northwest where it's all tricked out. It looks like something from fucking Fast and Furious, yeah. and it's really obnoxious. Well, the Falcon Northwest. I mean, other than the base, I mean, it's a it's a very understated case, and mm-hmm. it is very small. And yet they get a six, GTX 680 in there, and you know, a quad core processor and liquid cooling and all that stuff. It's in terms of the yeah, you pay factor, a lot of money. It's either the tower style, which is kind of like if you take a PlayStation and put it on on, on its side, or something that's like a frag box, like a Silverstone cube, PC, right. and it's more like a long cube, you know, more of a four by three in the front um, aspect ratio. Um, yeah, the case I use at home right now. It's it's matte black and it's it's made by Silverstone. It's their Fortress Two. It's a complete ripoff of the uh, of Mac Pro. 
<laughs> it, it looks like a black Mac Pro, which I yeah. love. So, okay, yeah. that's fine. Mine, me. just, mine is just like completely boring, bland, looks like nothing, but you know, it's got, it's pretty. There, there pretty are a well lot of options out there. Spec'd. Cases well, used to be big misses. The next mini iTech system uh, I'm going to build, I think for you guys actually, I'll mm -hmm. come on board and do that, is definitely not ungaudy. Okay, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll be excited to see that when we do that. Um, have you guys uh, heard of Leap Motion? Yeah, the, the people. Uh, you're talking about the the, the gesture, the gesture thing. thing. Gary, have you heard of this? No. Um, it was announced uh, last year. It's a small startup, and they have a uh, motion sensor for PCs and, and Macs. And the small, it looks like the size of an Altoids 10 almost, uh, maybe even smaller than that. Like a stick of gum, I think, is what they're shooting for. But plugs in the USB, and you put it in front of your desk, and it has, they say, sub millimeter accuracy in terms of uh, gesture recognition. So you put your hands on top, in the open air, and gesture and do all sorts of stuff. And it is supposed to be very, very accurate because of the, and it's all CPU constrained. It's all based on the algorithms they use. Um, and the dev, the dev units for those have been shipping out. I think it's $70 is what they're shooting for to sell, uh, to be in Best Buy later this year. Um, but you, there are some YouTube videos that are totally worth watching of developers getting access to this and integrating it into you know, their software. Um, We've never, and, and I think they have a, a partnership also with uh, ASUS okay. to have them built into laptops. But I, I think just like touchscreens, where we figured out that touchscreens on traditional PCs, laptops, and desktops don't make sense as a primary interface, right. but they can be a useful complementary interface. Right. Motions is also a thing that it, it, there's room to explore. I mean, it sounds like Connect, but it actually works. Yeah, connect it doesn't by fast response. Anything. Doesn't use cameras, it uses IR. So it's just infrared LEDs that yeah. blast up and probably only works like with a PC when you're sitting right next to it. That's one thing. You're sitting yeah, in the living yes, room, it's, that it's would be a, a tougher thing. It's a near field near solution. Field, right, right, yes. right, right. Yeah. But think of something like that combined with an Oculus Rift. But I I don't really want to be waving my hands around like Tom Cruise and Minority Report. I just feel like an idiot doing that. That's why I don't like Connect. I just feel so self-conscious when I'm doing that stuff. You know, I thought I'd feel self-conscious just touching a laptop and scrolling up, but now I do it on Gary, laptops that don't you, have you it. and I are no longer 12, though. That's the problem. That is the problem. And, and actually, not, they don't build stuff for us anymore. Right. They're building stuff for 12-year-old kids. I'm being somewhat facetious, but I mean, it's like, I, I was talking quite seriously as one laptop vendor. I said, why are you putting touch screens in your laptops? This is a while ago. I said, it's because it's expected now. I mean, if, if, if a 15-year-old kid gets a laptop for his birthday, mm -hmm. the first thing they do is they touch the screen. Well, if, if kids are, and that's one of the reasons Connect was such a huge success, and also one of the reasons that Connect didn't need to be as accurate as the hardware could have been, um, because like, I think Colin mentioned this when he was on the podcast. He had kids. You, you put any any kid in front of a TV where the, the TV can respond to what they're doing, right. whether it's Dance Central or something, and they'll go crazy for an hour. And it doesn't need to be super accurate. It just needs to give them some type of feedback. Right. And, and Lloyd's right that it is a generational thing. Kids these days are growing up with a completely different set of expectations. You should be able to touch the screen. You should be able to use gestures. You know, it's it. it they don't have any of the baggage from the old world yeah. that we do. You know, we, we, we are becoming basically obsolete, people like us. <laughs> no, no. The world's disappearing around us. Yeah. So and we're sitting around <laughs> going, you kids, when I was your age, oh, I had to do cool. it this way. And they're like, oh, shut the fuck up. Well, you guys both have kids. How, how, I mean, your kid. Well, my kid's too young too to young. lecture right now, but I will be doing it in the, in the future. But, I mean, in, in terms of exposing kids to 
touch devices and new and new technology. I've let I've let um, my uh, daughter play with. She's seven months old and she plays with the iPad. And she loves it. She doesn't really. Know, she's really just kind of like mashing it, but she huh. understands as a touch response. And oh, as my, you say, this is what kids are growing up with. My now. older daughter is a senior at UCLA, and it's funny. She's sort of old school. It was really. It was the hardest thing for her to give up her BlackBerry because Blackberry. she wanted to have that keyboard. She's, she's got an iPhone now, but I mean, just like she, it, it ha- she had to wait for the BlackBerry to actually die before she would change it. Wow. Out, out. Uh, my other daughter is much more receptive to new stuff, but uh, Elizabeth was pretty funny about that kind of thing. Yeah, there'll always be those kind of diehards. I mean, you know, even in the new range of Blackberries, they had to include a, a, a physical yeah. keyboard for, the, for those people. Um, but I think for the most part, Steve Jobs was, was right when he first brought out the iPhone and people were very unsure about the touch keyboard. He said, you'll just get used to it. And people did. Now most people have no problems using touch keyboards. The technology, capacitive screens have, have reached a point where it was I wouldn't that. say that they have no problems. They have just gotten used to it. Yeah. I, many, I still prefer a, yeah. a tactile keyboard. I mean, how many, people, how many times do you see text messages or emails from phones and there are all kinds of like... Ooh, autocorrect kicked in on this one. You can kind of see what happened. Yeah, I mean, it's still it's still not perfect, but yeah. in terms of what you get back, like full screen displays, you know, because that was really the, that's really mm-hmm. what right. you wanted. You didn't want to have a BlackBerry look half a screen and then all this real estate given over to a physical keyboard. The whole idea that the keyboard is there when you want it to be and it's screened when you don't want it to be was brilliant. And I think what we got from that is, you know, and plus we also got like all kinds of funny autocorrect websites and stuff. Well, I think now voice is becoming that much more prevalent because it's, it's actually useful now. Um, well, not, that's not debatable Siri, also. Not Siri, but Google Voice. And I, I, do you have you guys use, have you, Lloyd, have you used the Google Voice app at Google all? Google Voice is pretty great. I it's, do not talk to my devices. It's, you know, it, it might look weird. I do it all the time now. I don't type in Google searches. I don't go to a computer and type in my Google query. If I need something quick like a directions or a recipe, it's the Google search app and t- talking. Yeah, to see, talk, talk is about. something that I've never had a problem. That's a new paradigm that I never had a problem adjusting to because it's something we do. We talk to each other every day to ask and tell people things. Mm-hmm. It's been a staple of science fiction, T or Grey Heart. Like, it's been there forever. Like, we've always just felt like that's something that should we should be able to do with computers. And so I don't feel, I feel self-conscious waving my hands around with Connect, <laughs> but I don't feel self-conscious you know, well, saying think, Xbox pause I, and I, think I, don't, I don't not talk to my devices because I'm a curmudgeon. I not talk to my devices because I expect intelligent responses, which I, the times that oh, I've so played with that, I don't if get you felt like you, If you felt like it worked, you would be happy to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, right, okay. exactly. It well, is frustrating. That's where T. Earl Grey Hot makes so much sense and actually was so prescient. Picard said T. Earl Grey Hot because he had to tell the computer first T. <laughs> But type, right. Earl Grey, there was a lot... Yes, but it's interesting, isn't it? That, that you'd think in the 24th century it would actually be more Siri-like. Right. Where could, could just say, you know what, computer? I think I'd like a cup of tea. Uh, and I think I'd like to be... Uh, and make, sure it's, make sure it's pretty hot. <laughs> and uh, I think Earl Grey today. Like, but, should be able to, but, and the computer in the 24th century should be able to figure that out. Remember and yet he still has to talk to it in a very rudimentary way. That's, but that's exactly how we're doing... We're talking devices now. When I do a Google search, I know that if you type in a string of words in the Google, the order in which the words appear definitely matters and affects the search results. And this matters even more when you're talking in terms right. of the voice recognition. Right. So if I'm searching for a specific restaurant or something yeah. in the yeah. city, I'll always preface it with San Francisco restaurant. Right. So and you still, even though even though it's supposed to be able to understand your natural language, you're, you're trying to say it in a way that you know you're best, most likely like to be understood. The, the right well, think about right. it. I have, yeah. to, I have to do it in a fucking American accent <laughs> to get understood. When I can do it in a naturalistic way, I'll probably talk to my devices a lot more. Yeah. It, it's fun because it, it's fun talking to Google and trying to understand, based on my experience on Google on the desktop, how to interact with Google with voice. I have to run to the bathroom. Right, go, 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 go ahead. 
Oh, well, then I'll, I'm going to skip over the, uh, the the Apple Watch talk until Apple, uh, Gary gets back. Right, we can talk about, about this board game while Gary's gone. Yeah, well, what, are you, what are you playing these days? Oh, well, well, uh, well, well, well are, are, you, uh, are you able to say that where you're working or where no. you're not well, actually, I can say that I'm freelancing part-time. I can't say what else I'm doing. Okay, but you're no longer at, at PC, PC World. World. Correct. Yeah, we didn't address that at yes. the beginning of the show. Sorry about that. Um, and you were there for like about, about a year. Not quite, yeah. yeah. Nine months, I think. Yeah, and you're, you're doing work for us now? Uh, part-time. Part, part-time. Yep, yep. And uh, we actually will have you back for a PC build. Right. Um, That's going to be fun. very exciting. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring all the parts in a box. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to test everything except the motherboard, just to make okay. sure it's working. And then we're just going to build it from scratch and see yeah. what happens. It may become an exercise in troubleshooting. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's the fun of building a PC. It's, it's been a while since we've done a, a live PC build or at right. least a, a, one, a full-length PC build. And you know, parts have changed, hardware considerations right. have changed, and yep. it'll, be, it'll be fun to talk it out uh, and figure out why you chose the parts you did right. and to give people instruction on how to build their own PC because right. it's, it's still a lot of fun. And if, anyone, if you haven't done it, it's something you should do. Um, Sometimes and I'm going to bring my, my tool bag, so I'm going to you know, build it with my tools, too. So. Oh, do you have special tools? for? Well, my brain thing is my electric screwdriver. It's uh, my, you know. your secret, yes, secret my, tool. My, it the one thing that, the, it's, it's one of three or four products I've ever given a five out of five in my reviewing career. Wow. So, What's up? What did I miss? Oh, uh, we're talking about building PCs. Oh, okay. I mean, you built your PC last year. Here. I've never really built a PC. I've always kind of just, it's always ended up being done for me. And I. And you've had bad experiences when people have done it for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> although this, la- this last one finally is pretty stable, and I'm, I'm pretty happy. It was a memory, it. wasn't it? Wasn't there was memory? a memory problem, and I actually yeah. want to upgrade the memory on this new one, but I'm terrified to swap out the sticks that are well, in memory's right going to get more expensive. Oh, it is? Soon. Although, yeah, hard drives are dropping in price while memories are going up. It's Am I going to yeah. see, if I, right now I just have 8 gigs in my gaming PC, would yeah. I see much of an increase if I put 16 in no. there? No, absolutely not. So I should just leave it the way yes. People put 16 gigs of memory in the PC because it was so cheap. The margins right. were so yeah. low. There's so much competition in that space. Um, and that was a good place to spend money when, when the uh, floods hit the hard drive uh, the only, factories. The only real reason to have a lot of memory is if you're doing either sort of like high-end video or photo editing, yeah. or if you're running a lot of virtual machines. The iMac that I bought is so ridiculously overpowered for what I do with it, and yeah, I still upgraded it to 16 gigs of RAM just because I could and because the RAM is so cheap. And like, I just like, you, you just you just feel good having it. Like, even though, right. even though you'll never use it or feel the benefit, you're just like, yeah, this is a really, again, the it's, the, it's, it's the Tim Taylor factor. The thing is hard drive space, storage space. Yes, although it's amazing how uh, SSD prices are dropping like crazy. Uh, I just bought one of Crucial M4's 512 gig SSDs. Mm-hmm. I think I paid $329 for it. Oh my goodness. It. We're well below the one, one dollar per gigabyte. Right. I'm loving the, uh, the Fusion Drive in the iMac. Oh, you, you, do you notice it? Uh, yeah, I, everything's really snappy. I mean, when the thing boots up, it's like it's like my MacBook Air booting up. It's like 10 seconds as opposed to like a minute or whatever it used to no, be on Max the replace where RAM is, is you need to get in on the mic a little bit more. Okay. In on the mic. Okay. Yeah, because uh, even on my MacBook Air, I uh-huh. have four gigs on this. It's chugging. I gotta close all my browser tabs. Oh yeah, well, you're using Chrome. I'm using Chrome. Yes, Chrome is a big Chrome memory hog when you're blind. Huge memory hog. And a different process for each tab you open too. Yep, yep. That's why you gotta download those plugins that uh, disable Flash uh-huh. um, by default. So you, you only click to load Flash when you need it. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, but you, you built your PC, Gary, last year for SimCity. And it, I built it for. City. I actually built it for a number of reasons, which didn't pan out. I bought one, of the, <laughs> one of the reasons I bought it was for Star Wars: The Old Republic, which ended up not oh, yeah. being that great, so it wasn't yeah. worth the effort. 
Um, and just, you know, whatever in general, like high, you know, whatever high end games I want to play, but primarily for SimCity because I was really excited about it. Still am. Uh, very excited about that. all the videos and screenshots. I've seen, it's just like, wow, that's fucking amazing. It looks amazing. <laughs> although, again, if you talk, if you hang out in some of the SimCity grognard communities, they're not happy about they're the direction not. of the new game. They feel like they've sacrificed. Like SimCity Four, I think, is generally considered the apex. Mm -hmm. Like, because you could build crazy, insane cities, huge, huge metropolises, really, really detailed for people that wanted to get into the real nitty-gritty of a SimCity-type game, the, yeah. the hardcore guys, they love SimCity 4. And this, I think they feel like they've taken all that out. The cities aren't as big, but they're much, much more graphically detailed, and it's kind of like... Well, it's a reboot. Yeah, they don't, but they don't like... They're really complaining about a lot of the decisions that have been made. They feel like it's been dumbed down in favor of a more user-friendly SimCity social-type approach. But like, again, I, I like that, but I think a lot of people are going to... Remember what the word grognard actually stands for? Um, I don't know. Does it stand I for believe, anything? I believe it's a French word that came from whose root is the word grumbler. So I mean, that was the the old French soldiers sounds from about the right. Napoleonic Wars who used to complain all the time. So, you oh. know, that that sounds pretty much <laughs> dead on to me. Uh, all right. So, it's, isn't a, a test podcast until we talk about Apple? Uh, Bloomberg put out a report this week that Apple has hundreds of people working on a, a watch product. Does this make sense? I don't know. I'll tell you when I see it. But the in theory, in theory, I don't. I'm not excited. I, I was not one of the people that signed up for a Pebble watch. Didn't care. And, and, and now that it's out, I care even less. Yep. Like, it seemed very <laughs> underwhelming. Well, it depends uh, on whether they build a phone into it or not. What, Dick Tracy style? Well, I don't think they would build a watch to cannibalize the phone business mm -hmm. as a replacement for the phone? I mean, I did get an iPod Nano and, and the did. strap and, and wear it as a watch for a while as a novelty. It. it was fun. It's a, it was a conversation piece. Um, but whether or not it's something that has real functionality. Again, nobody thought tablets worked until the iPad came out. Yeah. So the, the idea of the watch, in theory, doesn't... No one's shown me yet why it can be good or useful, but I, I believe that if anyone can show us how it would be good and useful, it would be Apple. I, I think the thinking of it as a watch is probably the wrong way to go about it. I think Apple sees the growth in these fitness trackers and, right. and, and wristband. It'll be a compute device. It'll it won't be, just be a watch. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think you have a small watch face like mm -hmm. the Pebble, like like the Nano on a watch strap right. is probably the wrong way to think about it also. I think if Apple were to do something like this, it would be a curved piece of glass that would extend be, you know all the way around. or it'll, And it'll be programmable and all that jazz. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I, I mean, yeah, it's theoretically, who knows? It could be exciting, but I, we don't have a clue what's going on. And, and if they do it well, then it's another, you know, two hundred, three hundred dollar. But they do. I mean, that would, that's going to answer. That's going to answer the question that I think is being asked of Apple and Tim Cook, because the 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 decline of Apple under under Cook stories what? are really starting to kick in now. Have you noticed? <laughs> really? Oh yeah, they're really starting to kick in. Uh, and, and one of the big questions that has to be answered, and I think we were asking this from you know, the minute that, the, that Tim Cook took over, mm -hmm. was, well, once whatever Jobs had in the pipeline runs out, the question's going to be, what's the next iPhone? You can't just iterate the iPhone and the iPad. There has to be another right. new thing. Sure. And is that a watch or a TV? Or a, well, or TV was, who in knows was in the Jobs pipeline. Because that was what it was working on. Right. To the very so, it remains, so it remains to be seen what that next big not evolutionary, but revolutionary product is. Apple obviously needs that to stay relevant. Well, they, they're, I mean, they're going to become a, you know, they're a consumer electronics company now, not just a computing company. Yeah. You know, so you talk about cars and, and 
anywhere that where there are electronics right. that can be smarter, you know, they they can expand their ecosystem to reach into those territories. But what Apple did, what Apple did with the iPhone and with the iPad is revolutionize the market by showing us something we didn't realize we wanted it until we saw it. And they were, oh my god, I gotta have that, and I don't know yeah. what the next what the third act is after the iPhone yeah. and the, and, what, the I, I, and the iPad. What I'm not convinced of is even if this watch is like very cool, mm-hmm. it's I, I'm not convinced it's going to be, oh, I got to have that kind of product. And it's, and it's an interesting time for tablets either. wristwatches have gone away. They have. Um, I still enjoy wearing a wristwatch, but I, I, I used to, it used to be a point where I felt naked without a wristwatch. If I left the house and I realized I didn't put my watch on, I'd go back in and get it because I just loved having a wristwatch. The problem is so many people now just look at their phone to tell time. Well, Apple killed the, the wristwatch. has kind of died off I mean, a little bit. Cell phones killed the wristwatch, but yeah. dominant cell phone now. So, so Apple can Apple now resurrect yeah. it? Yeah. That's an interesting so, story to tell. Yeah. 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 And, and they can do Mickey Mouse watch faces. <laughs> I love those Mickey Mouse watch faces. All day long. They got those, they got those Disney connections. Have, uh, Lloyd, have you used the next And just think now they can have uh, Marvel and Star Wars characters on there as well. All that as well. <laughs> I have not used the Nexus 4. I have a Nexus 7. Uh, oh, I love the Nexus 7. Nexus 4, which uh, we got the in. The phone, right? Yeah, the 4 mm-hmm. we got in um, a couple weeks ago. And I've been using it. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good phone. Weren't you complaining about the fact that you wish it had faster download speeds? I, I am because I, we, we have great LTE. In the Bay Area. Right. I mean, yeah. it really feels like not having an LTE phone these days feels like you're just handicapping yourself unnecessarily. Well, a lot of people pointed out that they live in areas where, and there are many places in the country yes. where LTE, and, and overseas, where LTE is, is not the dominant. Right. Yeah. But here in San Francisco, yes, you're going to, it would be very hard for me to, to give up LTE now and, that and I've had it for I, a while. Can I rant for a second? You can have This is sort of my problem with tech reviewers everywhere is that they all tend to be people who live in metropolitan areas. And they see that through. They see their reviews through the lens of that. And in no. fact, most people don't live in that kind of environment. Yeah, but to be fair, the majority of people that re- are reading those blogs are also kind of urban metropolitan tech types. Like the guy out in fucking well, I, but those guys Kentucky really somewhere who's, good, who's and, just and got like a like a cheap phones. phone isn't reading Engadget for the latest Android reviews. I, I, I new phones no matter what. A lot of my fans live in remote areas. That doesn't mean that they're not. I think that says that. a lot, actually. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all like, oh, burn. they're all like living out in their log cabins writing manifestos. <laughs> Lloyd Case is right. He's the true leader. And then they blow shit up. But yes, you're, you're right. Like there, there are a lot of technologies that people don't need. Right. Um, and there are things, I mean, that's why we live with products. And that's what that they don't need as, as it hasn't been widely deployed yet, right? Sure. At some point, we'll all have gigabit wireless, you know, throughout the world. But that's a ways off. Yeah, imagine if the dominant tech press was in Korea. And they're all talking about, oh, man, this, this service sucks because it's not cheap. You know, gigabit internet, right? And 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 we're talking about paying hundred bucks a month for twenty megabits, right? Yeah, here in, in, in the states, they laugh at us. Yeah, so we're behind in some ways too. Uh, but yeah, the Nexus Four is, is is pretty good. There are a lot. It's definitely changed the way I've used uh, a smartphone. How would you compare it to like the one of the big Samsung phablet things? So I haven't used a Note. Okay, you're talking about the Note and yep. the Note Two. I've mm-hmm. used the GS Three. Okay, and the Galaxy Nexus. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Technically thinner than the Galaxy Nexus okay. and thicker than the GS3. Right. I like it more than the GS3. It feels nicer in my hand. If you had to, if you had to give up your iPhone and live with an Android phone for I the next year, Nexus what would you 4. want? Easily. You'd want the Nexus 4. Easily. So you don't care about the LTE, even yeah. in, even knowing you'd be giving well, that up well, in San Francisco. Think about we didn't have LTE on the iPhone 4s for a year. Yes, but and we but were now totally the, okay with it. Well, yeah, but we also I, I used to be, used to be okay <laughs> with my Nokia Candy Bar phone, but I wouldn't fucking <laughs> want to go back to that either. Once you've had it, you can't go back. Yes, you can go back. HSPA Plus is 
fast enough for the things I need to do. Mm. Um, the, the benefits of LTE on the iPhone 5 are mostly downloading apps and watching YouTube. And I don't watch YouTube that much on my phone anyway, or watch video, period. So why the Nexus 4 and not a Galaxy S3? The, Which the, seems to be the Android uh, phone to have these days. That, that peer experience. The, the what? The, the pure Android 4.22. Oh, you want the purity. Uh, you don't want the, the touch with shit yeah, over the yeah. top. Okay. Yeah. okay. That's fair enough. And, and the design is really nice. So the, the phone, I wish I had it. It's in my bag, actually. Um, it has the, uh, the curved beveled edges uh-huh. on the side, swiping from left to right. And even that, the widgets on the lock screen, it's worked really, really well. All right. I'll take a look at it after the podcast. Yeah. I want to see it. And um, Google just uh, released their wireless charging dock okay. for the Nexus 4 also. It's, it's like that palm touchstone. So it's... Mag- uh, it's Magnetic induction. I do like that. You just and slap it right on there. Slap it right on. And that's the thing I want more devices to have. If Apple comes out with an iWatch and it does not have wireless charging, I'm very disappointed. Right. Fair I, enough. I do not yeah. want more things to plug into a wall. Yeah. I mean, no, I plug into it once, but I don't want to have to plug a USB I agree. cable. Everyone's you buy the Nexus that. 4 and it's unlocked, right? It's a, yeah. 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 You can only buy it unlocked. Right. Um, 300 and $400. Okay. Yeah. Which is also, that, I mean, I wish it came out one year ago. Because that's so much better purchase than getting that 4S, mm-hmm. the iPhone 4S. Yeah. But it, it, it's also nice. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can read about using Android and the benefits of Android, but until you've actually done it, like downloading an app on a computer and it pushes the install on your phone, that's really cool. I mean, I mean I'm, 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 incre- I'm increasingly of the opinion that if, if for whatever reason it was warranted, I could probably live with an Android although, phone. Although Nexus 7, I found, just sort of stalls occasionally. It just sort of gets that's, sluggish that's the, Tiga, that's the Tiga 3 inside. And because of the resolution it's pushing out, mm-hmm. it is uh, the, the 4 is much faster than the 7. Okay. Yeah, in, in its experience. Um, one of the biggest stories this week has to do with New York Times and Tesla. <laughs> I, I really want to talk about this. So for people who don't know, um, Tesla, they're the car manufacturer right. uh, owned by uh, Elon Musk. Um, the Tony Stark of the real world, and um, With, Tesla without model. the mechanical heart. Well, yeah. Well, maybe, I don't know. Um, but he uh, doesn't have a mechanical heart, but he has he has a mechanical power source that keeps his keeps the the, the shards from penetrating his heart. <laughs> yes, Sorry, so I felt, yes, I felt the need yes, to correct it, it, that. Tony Stark doesn't. Yes, he it, doesn't have a mechanical the, the, heart. The, the reactor in his body. He, he has right. a reactor which one of which yes. one of its. Functions anyway, is as a magnet okay, yes. to prevent the shrapnel from so getting into his heart. He's slowly dying every day. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, Tesla. Uh, uh, it's important we get the fake technology. <laughs> even if we can't get right, <laughs> even if we can't get real technology right on this podcast, it's important we get the fake stuff correct, especially in comic books. Uh, the Model S was released this year. It was a hundred thousand dollar car for the signature edition, the the highest end. But theoretically, the entry level is fifty thousand, which was a big deal for all electric cars. Isn't one of the differences this turbocharging thing? Uh, the battery is the a battery. Big, the battery difference, the the battery capacity, right, and the charge rate are different, right, between the base model and the highest model. Right. I believe I, I'm not 100 sure about the charge rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a, a reader who, who owns a, uh, the Signature Tradition, and he can use a supercharger, obviously. Right. So in um, promoting the Model S, they've given reviewers like The Verge got to loan a right. uh, a Model S, and also the New York Times got to loan one to do a relatively controlled test test run mm-hmm. of it because um, they're very cautious Tesla is uh, they had a really bad, bad experience with Top Gear a couple years ago uh, where t- they loaned a car to Top Gear and Top Gear basically at least this is what Tesla claims wrote out the script and bashed the car ahead of time before getting the car 
and they had their story. I think that's because they're all like out. crazy petrol heads, and yeah, just, they are. Clarkson yeah, and those idiots exactly. are all like the idea of a, of a car that's like ecologically friendly is just anathema to them. Right. right. <laughs> um, and there's a whole lawsuit related to that that case. Um, so they've been very wary. Um, so for the New York Times profile on the car, the, the idea was to promote the supercharging station. So while you can charge a Tesla in your home if you if you really want to plug it into like one ten wall outlet or even a regular um, three prong outlet, you can. It takes a long time. You can also charge it at these EV stations, which they're increasingly number up at least in the Bay Area and on the coast. Right. Um, and then these superchargers that Tesla is installing itself in like parking lots of strip malls and stuff like that. But how um, do you charge it? Like the, the most for most people are going to charge their car at home. Mm-hmm. So, Most people, yeah. And so they just plug it into a regular they, outlet? There are two ways. You can either, you can, there is an adapter where you can, like an, a laptop or an iPhone, can plug it into a 3 pong wall outlet. That's going to give you a slow, right. slow charge. You can plug it into a 110 volt, which is like what your washing machine you mean plug, 240. Right. 240. 240, right. which is what your washing machine plugs into. Yeah, right. And that gives you a faster volt. Or if you talk to your electric company, you can get uh, a supercharger type station right. installed in your, in your garage. Right. Um, which gives you some like credits and stuff, um, so you can charge at different rates. So they've installed their own superchargers along the important routes, like long distances. So, for example, SF to LA right. is a popular route, and so along there in the Grapevine, there will be a supercharger. So you can do that trip because the range on the on the high end Model S is three hundred miles, but EPA rated two sixty five. Really, that's not going to give you a full trip. And you don't want to wait at an in and out for three hours while your car's charging. But then with a supercharger, how long does it take? It's like an hour. Okay. An hour for a full charge. Right. Like 58 minutes or something. Right. Um, the New York Times reviewer, the, the goal was to test out these superchargers and drive along the East Coast. Uh, I think from New Jersey all the way past New York into right. Connecticut or something. Um, or far, far northeast and then make the trip back. And then, But he wasn't able to. In his review, he said that the car was stuck in, you know, 10-degree temperature, and he was freezing his ass off, and he had to call a tow truck to tow him to the supercharge station at the end of the trip. It was a very, very scathing review, and I think Tesla's stock price went down because of it. Tesla immediately came back, and Elon Musk tweeted that the review was wrong, and the, the driver didn't follow, not only didn't follow the agreed-upon route, and didn't do best practices for the charging. And today, or last night, the Tesla posted a huge blog post detailing all the data from the car. And this is the, and this is the, right. the problem, right? Is that because it's a very high-tech car, it actually has... Yes. Phone's home. Yes. They, they, they are able to see exactly everything that the driver did and where the car went and, it, it, and its technical status throughout the entire test. It's right. a black box right. for the car. Right. When you buy a Tesla, that is not enabled by default. I think you can have that turn on or off, but for these loaner cars, because of their experience with Top Gear, they've turned That's them part on of the deal. Yeah, for all the, all the cars. Right. And right. the raw data isn't available. Tesla's not giving out the actual numbers, but they've made charts and graphs, which is on their blog post. And they said this guy basically, he, he went on the test drive with the intention of failing. He didn't charge all the way up when he needed to, and he even went out of his way to go drive in a parking lot circles basically based on the, tr- the speed you know how fast the car was moving in circles until the car was drained so he could say that the car didn't reach you know didn't, didn't meet it, uh, the anticipated mileage right, right. Um, now so Tesla's data mm-hmm. which they've posted seems to make a mockery of, of the review yes the New York Times 
has said today that they're going to respond. So oh, it'll be they? interesting to see. Yeah, so they have, a, they have what, what's called a public editor who is kind right. of like an ombudsman who's yeah. in charge of kind of editorial responsibility and, and making sure that they correct anything that's not correct. Yeah. And, you know, keeping, keeping everyone honest at the New York Times. And uh, they, I think she tweeted today, we're on it, we're investigating. And so there'll, there'll be a New York Times response and we'll right. see what happens. You know, um, it's, it's uh, interesting. I'm not taking sides on it yet because I think, like I said, everything's not in yet. But I, I, if, if the New York Times guy did do this stuff, knowing that the fo- car was going to phone home, I can't believe, you know, that's not reflecting well on his intelligence in general. I mean, you, if you know that your data is being collected and you're doing something stupid anyway. If the Tesla data is correct, the yeah. best case scenario is the guy was just incompetent and didn't know how to use the car properly and didn't, didn't properly follow the instructions. Right. The worst case is the Top Gear thing where he was actually out to, to do a hatchet job. In, in, in the end of the, t- um, the Tesla blog post, they link to previous articles this guy had written before where he is super down on EVs. And right. said EV was you know dead on arrival and without having driven one before at least the Tesla uh, model before the Model S, um, but the because re- the reviews of the Tesla S uh, elsewhere have been very good. Yeah, I mean it was car of the year, Motor Trend's car of the year last year, and and they don't didn't give that out just because of its it was EV status, but because of its performance and what you can do with it. I'm gonna wait for second generation, but second I, uh, generation is definitely the way to. Yeah. I mean, there are you know the the people with money to burn and early adopters out there are, are going to go get one and they're going to love it. I I know two people that own a Tesla S and they both swear by they love it. Um, but for more everyday folks, I think we want it to be a little bit te- just let the technology evolve a little bit before I, we jump in. I don't in. think that they can afford for people to wait for second generation. I get they're still selling out as much as well. They I mean, there's them. a waiting. I mean, I think they've got a huge yeah. backlog, so it's they not do. like there's that much of a problem. Perspective of sort of average drivers, I think second generation is the way to go. I right. think. I mean, so think of the Prius. It's just right. like the Prius. Now we're 15 years into the Prius's right. launch. Yeah, and, and they've really... P- and now it's yeah, the best-selling car. You that. don't need to think twice before buying one. Right. right, but like the Leaf and the Volt and the S are all kind of works in progress. Yeah. And then the S is probably the most evolved. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think I, I, for that kind of money, I think, yeah, I'd want to wait for it to just be a little bit more technology kind of locked down. The problem is it costs so much money. The battery technology is really the most expensive yes. part about right. it. Mm-hmm. Um, the next Tesla model they've announced is the the Model X, which mm-hmm. is the um, midsize um, like just like a sedan. S- no, it's not a sedan. It's a it's more the the SUV. Okay. It's a crossover. Right. Uh, but it uses. But the, isn't that what the S is? No, the, no, S, the S, S is, is a sedan. Right. S is the four door sedan. Right. And the Roadster was the two door, and the X is the one with the, the Falcon wings, the Gold wings. Oh uh, right, yeah. Uh, that one has, is exactly the same in terms of the technology and the tr- powertrain, I guess, as the. Um, the S, except it just has a bigger body, except it just has more room on the inside. Yeah. So we're not going to see a big overhaul of their, you know, their driving technology for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, but batteries I do will like, get better. I do like, I, I, I think my next car, I'm probably going to wait a little bit longer, but I can see my next car being a Tesla. Again, once as a next generation, once everything is kind of firmed up a little bit more and you don't have to wait a ridiculous amount of time to get My one. perspective is until the infrastructure is better refined, I'll stick the farthest I'll go is like a plug-in hybrid at this point. That's the thing is like a lot of people have what's called range anxiety yeah. and that's a, that's a real well, thing. Well, that's, that's what the New York Times article totally praised upon is that whole, it's being stuck in the snow, right. freezing your ass off right. with no power yeah. and, having, and, and being delayed for your, your, your trip for a day. Right. Um, I think Tesla is going to still be a high-end company, still be a premium right. car company. I mean, their base model is fifty thousand with the tax credit, but it's really you know after everything, it's sixty thousand dollars, which is a premium car. That's a BMW five series. I think it makes more sense to, for them to license their technology out 
and hopefully a company like Honda or Toyota will put t technology as opposed to developing their own like Chevy did and put that technology in their cars yeah. so you get mass market adoption in more affordable bodies. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, one interesting, I drove that Tesla S. We did the video with um, Christian, who's one of our reader, who has one. And the most interesting, there are two things. One from driving it, uh, you all, using um, cruise control helps a lot with the driving and right. with, your, with your power usage because rapidly tapping the gas pedal and slowing down and starting up and slowing right. down, that yeah. would hurt the battery. Yeah. And also, unlike driving a car, where, when you release the, the pedal, the, the gas on the car, you can cruise because you still have gas going in. Right. The, the moment you release the, the accelerator on the Tesla S, you're slowing down dramatically. So you have to uh, actually keep your foot right. on the oh. accelerator right. constantly or use cruise control to maintain that constant speed. Yeah, I mean, I even do that with my Prius, right? I use cruise control a lot, even around town, because it's just a little more efficient. Right. And, and also, when people are charging, the batteries are relatively smart, meaning that they'll drain, because they're lithium-ion batteries, basically, and those need to be, you need to nurse them. So you don't want ever lithium-ion batteries to drain all the way to zero. That hurts the, the capacity of the battery and its, its lifespan. You kind of want it to be do, at the 60, 80%. Do they let the batteries go to zero when they run out? Because they, they don't. In the Teslas, yeah, no. That's right. They're I, smart about yes. that. They, they always cycle. They know which, which cells right. have been used more frequently and which haven't been, and so they charge the ones. And one of the interesting things that I found out about the Prius batteries is that when, it's at zero, when you see the charge go down to zero, mm -hmm. it's still actually at 40%. Yeah, and what they do is they never they run it between forty and sixty percent. They never charge it up all the way, and they never let it drain all the way. And that's the best way to keep batteries, whether it's in your car or in the smartphone, healthy, is not to overheat it, and also never keep it within that you know sixty forty to eighty percent charge range. Right. Um, and and these car owners, these Tesla car owners, do charge their cars like their cell phones. Like they get the charge anxiety, just like I'm freaked <laughs> out when my phone isn't at above like eighty ninety percent. Yeah, right. They're freaked out when they're not at that 300 miles. Yeah, it's not like you can drive a gas car. Oh, I can go down to, you know, 50 miles left in the, in, of gas and then go to the gas station. No, they're plugging in every night. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. really a, a, a mental shift in the way you you own a car. I think. Well, I, I think most people in the long run will eventually make that shift. So yeah, we'll get there. We'll get we're we're in the middle of that process yeah. right now. So uh, have either of you watched House of Cards? No. I haven't yet, only oh, because, you know, baby and things. But um, I hear it's excellent. And uh, I, I thoroughly um, admire and applaud the, what they've done with the Netflix model and everything. It's great. I've, uh, one of the producers on it is a good friend of mine. So. Oh, the show is wonderful. Um, if you're interested in political thrillers at all, if you like that movie, Ides of March, it's by the same writer. Um, well, if you, or if you've seen the original House of Cards, or if you've seen the original, which is also on which Netflix. is the, the British version, which yeah. is terrific, and I think they, they model that the the character arc um, yeah. pretty closely, yeah. except obviously in, in Washington. Yeah. Um, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Why it was interesting for Netflix to do this, spend that hundred million dollars on twenty six episodes. That's expensive, even for premium cable network standards, um, and then release it all at once. Right. And it seems I think that's that brilliant. Actually, it was definitely bold, right? Yeah. And it, when people, uh, when it came out on February 1st, many, many people who were anticipating it watched it all 
in a very short time, right? A, a week, right? Yeah, most, most people marathoned it, right? Marathoned it after the Super or, Bowl or 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 at least worked through it mm-hmm. as as quickly uh, in, in as much as their schedule will allow. Like whenever they could but, watch it, they would you know, watch it. From the Netflix perspective, that's their model, right? They TV when they do release a TV show, they release it a season at a time, not one at a time, right? But with TV shows, you're getting constant flow of new content. With TV shows... Yeah, I'm talking about when Netflix released... Admittedly, they're typically a season late, right? But they released the whole season at a time. Right. I, I admit I was a little bit skeptical about it. I kind of liked the old model of, you know, the cliff. Oh, my God, you got to tune, you got to wait for next week's episode. And especially now with, you know, the internet and everything's a conversation. Like, you know, like Mad Men's a good example. That's a show that creates a big conversation on the, on the internet every week. That everyone watches Mad Men on Sunday night. And next morning on the internet is like Mad Men reaction blog yeah. discussion day yeah. and that's a scheduled right. thing with everyone able to watch the show at their own pace the, com- the, 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 the conversation is kind of out of sync but it doesn't se- and I, so I'm skeptical for that reason but it doesn't seem to have been a negative for House totally, of Cards at all I mean not in terms of enjoyment of the show I still enjoy the show without having have that conversation online but I do feel that void online there is no day after Game of Thrones day after Mad Men ecosystem of community where people are posting their gifts, their their screenshots, their best lines will show, having that the speculation about next week, the anticipation, all of that gone. All we, we had the reviews. So do you, are you saying you, you miss that? I miss that. Okay. I miss it incredibly miss Because it. like after you want like one of the exciting things about watching something that you really like mm-hmm. is then jumping in and seeing what other people thought of it and sharing there's a, a you know, there's a reinforcement angle. Yeah. It, it totally builds on and it builds word. And even though that's kind of ephemeral in the sense that it only la- that speculation and that that buzz lasts for each episode lasts that week between episodes, on the internet it builds this huge data pool of assets related but, to the show. But there's no shortage of people on the internet talking about House of Cards. If you want to go but join I, in that conversation, true. and I can go on forums and I can go on um, blogs and legitimate and real review sites and credit TV critics reviewing entire episodes stuff like that. But there's no sense of direction. If I go to um, Entertainment Weekly's review, the, you know, some, a, one site will choose to review just the preview episodes that were given, the four episodes or so. Well, that's the thing. You may want to, you may watch the first two episodes right. and love it, but like, how do you safely go exactly. on the internet without like yeah. seeing a review of the whole thing? Yeah, on, on a forum, the threads I've seen now have embargoes for spoilers. <laughs> right, right, you, right. The, the moderators are cracking down. You can only talk about this up to this point, and they're dictating their uh, own pace. That's a little artificial. Yeah, community. like I believe, like in the NeoGaf thread yeah. for House of Cards, it says like the spoilers. All the spoilers have to be marked until like a certain date mm-hmm. to like, give everyone a chance yeah. to get caught up. I mean, it is a brave new world right. for how we I think uh, it's interesting talk experiment. about shows. It's totally different. But I think I think in terms of again from the Netflix perspective, it falls in line with what their model has always been. Yeah, and it, it, may, it makes sense. It's a different model. It's disruptive. You've got to shake things up, and I think it's proving to work so far. I think the biggest thing about House of Cards that has been, that is the biggest um, kind of motivator for, for Netflix and for people to, to think this is a big deal is that it's really, really good, and the production values are super high. Like, for this to have worked, this show needed to be something that would not have looked out of place on HBO or, you know, it couldn't have just been like a web show. Like, we're used to seeing this stuff on the internet that clearly right. is not quite good enough to be on TV. Like, House of Cards could have been on HBO. It and nobody would have said, wow, this is really good even for an yeah. HBO show. And it's yeah. on Netflix. And so that legitimizes right. it in a big way. And on a related note, to change the topic slightly, have you been following what's been going on with this new sci fi show, Defiance? No. Yeah, I, I think it's. I don't know about if, if there's some new no, I just, shit that general, you're privy to. It's, it's just very interesting to watch this sort of. So, Defiance is a science fiction show, mm-hmm. and it's an MMO. 
Okay, it's, it's a game association. So it's a very right, it's yeah. a very big and deal. The in general, the plan is that the storyline in the MMO will sort of follow what's going on in the TV show, but. They've also said that they'll take things that happen in the game that players do that and are integrate that cool, and back into the TV version. Pull it back in the TV show. So it's very, very uh, ambitious and very kind of breaking new ground. Whether or not it's going to work, who knows? But yes. I love the fact they're trying something. It is that, an interesting that, experiment. Yeah. That crazy. But again, there the quality of the content dictates everything. No one's care will care about that if the MMO is a fun game to play. Right. The problem with the problem is with TV lead times and everything. I don't know how synchronous like you can make a change in the like something can happen in the MMO, some political shift or whatever or a town gets owned by a new faction. I don't no. know enough about the game to to be specific, but I don't know how quickly it's not like you would see that in the, in that week's episode. Like they no. need and, time and to and make that. That's the thing that. too. Right. Traditional networks have to be reactive in, at, at some point both in the showrunners and the writers knowing that not knowing whether their shows can be renewed. And also, you know, maybe some characters are disliked and budget change. A lot of serial TV now is only like written a couple of weeks ahead, right? But I think what Dan, I think what Dan Connors, yeah. or in this case, South Park, the same week. Yeah. I don't know what Dan Connors gave a great speech at uh, Dice talking about Walking Dead and the future of like episodic content in games, and it said, you know, we've been ch- the video games have been chasing the tale of like how do we become more, more like movies? How do we become more like TV? His prediction is that that is going to change, uh, and. Uh, Film and television will be saying, how, do, how can we be more like what's going on in video games? Because that's what's really exciting right now. And I think that's true. The, the closest model for something, going back to House of Cards, is, is HBO. I mean, if you compare you know, high-budget flagship shows, something like Game of Thrones on HBO and, and House of Cards on Netflix, they both serve the same purpose. They, they want to get new subscribers. When people say, okay, Game of Thrones is a must-see show, but it's not on Netflix, it's not on Amazon, it's not anywhere, I can buy it on DVD... If I want to see it, I got to watch when it comes out. I got to subscribe to HBO. Right. And it lasts, you know, three months or two and a half months for the 10 episodes for a season. So I know I have to subscribe for those two and a half months. Right. They get my $30 for those three months. Netflix, I think they're, they're banking on the idea that when people subscribe, once new people subscribe, even though they can get all the episodes in a week, they will be too lazy or unmotivated or simply really or, like or, Netflix. Or, or, or those things, wow, look at all this other cool stuff. Yeah, it's like there, there's a lot of stuff on Netflix. Yeah. Netflix, for eight bucks a month, Netflix is one of the best deals around. It's right. pretty crazy. And, and yet in the U.S., it's I think it's 29 million subscribers for Netflix instant streaming, right. um, which I guess is, is, is a lot. That, that is a lot. It's a lot of both a lot of money and a lot of percentage of households, and especially when you consider it, households typically have one Netflix account. Right. Uh, I think that o- over time, they're going to really crack down on the households and users. Um, because, because it, I mean, people share Netflix accounts all the time. I know, but you have a limit of eight, eight devices. Eight devices, but not if you're considering a web browser device. Yes, they do. They do. Because, really? Yes, because we ran into this with my daughter who mm-hmm. tried to log in her Netflix account and we had exceeded the number of devices and her PC was considered a device. And sorry, you can't. See so it. can you just deauthorize? And you, as it turns out, you can, but it's kind of tricky. What happens is you have to go. And de- you go to Netflix.com and you mm-hmm. deauthorize your device, which actually deauthorizes every device. Oh, it's like the iTunes model. Right, if and you, you have to reauthorize reset. everything, yeah. which is kind of actually, in some ways, it's more convenient, especially when you're trying to reset your account. Mm-hmm. But you can't just say, I want to reset this one PC or this one DVD player or whatever. Oh, maybe we just haven't reached that, uh, reached that part yet. Yeah, it's eight devices. Yeah, $8 a month, though, is, is a... F- Extremely yeah, fair I mean, price for a pay. very, very deep bench yeah. of, of and, content. And their, their goal is to have five or six of these premium shows on Netflix. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing for, for people like us, maybe not for, for people with kids, is that they have a huge 
audience base, and so their next show is not going to be like House of Cards. They fulfilled that need already for right. that, that demographic. Right. They, the like like any like <laughs> any network or a, yeah. you know cable company, they a cable station, they need to provide a, a, a suite. But I don't think content. HBO does that. I think I feel like when I watch HBO. Really? Do you think like Girls I love, and I love, uh, and the, and Game of Thrones have the same audience? I think so. I, I, I mean, there's an overlap. Uh, I don't know if I buy that. Okay, I, <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. I think that G- HBO has a model where they'll do Game of Thrones for their two and a half months, and when that's done, then they'll replace that with Girls, and then after that's done, they'll replace it with uh, Newsroom, and I think it's all the same audience. I think HBO's remit is just like as long as it's good. We don't. I don't think they really and, care and about like are we are we hitting all? Uh, do we have shows that are catered to all these different people? People. I mean, I actually feel kind of silly saying like skeptical about the idea that Girls and Game of Thrones. I haven't watched Girls, but I hear it's very good. And I, would, I have no problem watching mm-hmm. it. I should check it out actually on HBO Go. But like, I imagine I could. And there's no reason why I shouldn't enjoy both of those shows. It's not as, like as oh a, well because I like this thing I can't like this other thing. As a content network, they have the hi- uh, highest percentage of success in terms of. The stuff they produce and the stuff I like. There's very few shows on HBO now. I think about it that just like aren't for me. Exactly. Yeah, like I just like stuff blood. that's really good. Yeah, True Blood. Fuck yeah. that. But everything else. <laughs> everything else. Yeah. I, I, I like it, their batting average is really, that's, really that's exactly high. Exactly what I'm saying. Like 78 percent of shows that have either that are either on HBO now or have ever been on. Mm-hmm. And yet there are, people are all that shit love that I blood. like. And, 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 and God bless them. <laughs> And if Netflix can emulate that model where they have a high batting average for people, because they know our viewing habits, and for people like us, you know, Arrested Development and House yes. of Cards. Although and the viewing hab, I mean, to some extent, you know, you talk about these multi-viewing households. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're, that they have a really seriously warped view of my viewing habits because my daughter watches yeah. stuff and my wife watches And it's like, here's what we recommend for you. And like, I don't want to watch that. It's like, <laughs> here's what you watched last well, you would, you would need, watch. Well, you would need... Um, Discrete user profiles within right. Netflix for that to hold. They up. need to do that. I, I agree. Yeah. Like who's just say who's watching now, and again or again, you know, in the in the that's, age of connect, it just fucking scans exactly. your face and knows. It needs to be passive, and it knows when you and your daughter are watching together. And it goes, here's something both of you might like. <laughs> that's when you get. That's when it gets interesting. Or the creepy, box now. depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, have you guys uh, seen the uh, the new Bay Bridge project? Is this all the lights? The lights thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've heard of it. I, do I care? Do you, do you, no. they're, they're putting a bunch of lights on the oh, Bay Bridge. It looks so cool. Uh, I went, went out over the weekend to meet, uh, talk to the artist who worked on that project, who designed it. And if you haven't seen it, it launches March fifth okay. uh, on the Bay Bridge. But they've sh- they. I'll be home playing Sim City. Same day. Oh my. God. Personal fact: I got married in the shadow of the Bay Bridge. In the shadow. Of yeah, the Bay we Bridge? got married on a yacht. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. The Bay Bridge. It, it's. Not as iconic as the Golden Gate Bridge, but it's they've this artist has turned the Bay Bridge into a canvas for his, his, a light show. Okay. Um, and the techno- there's technology involved in this. Um, there are twenty five thousand LED nodes, Philips LED nodes. Okay. They're attached, and he has custom software that he runs off this laptop that taps into some computer hidden on the pier that sends a signal, and he can actually orchestrate a. So we're going to have disco lights on the Bay now, Bridge? Did you, here's what I, my initial thought on that is. Did you ask him if there's like a safety component of like how does, how are you worried that it could be a distraction for drivers actually going over the yeah, bridge or anything that, like that? That's the number one concern. And I drove over the Bay Bridge a couple times that day to get from Treasure Island to San Francisco and back. It's only on one side of the Bay Bridge and the lights are actually directed toward the Embarcadero. Okay. So at an angle. So it's made for people who are... 
So as a driver, yeah. you don't see the lights. As a driver driving from uh, Treasure Island to San Francisco, I don't think you don't see them at all. Okay. Um, if you're driving and you're, it's done so when you're on the far side of the lane, you can't see them either. But if you look in the rear view mirror, you can kind of see some glimmering. I would, I would always, I, I would, I would support an initiative just to paint the Bay Bridge a really interesting color. They're building a new one right now, so they should just make it interesting. Like the Golden Gate Bridge <laughs> is, the Golden Gate Bridge is iconic. Yes. Not just because it's a great design, yeah, and it's in a and it's in a really you know interesting place like the Gateway to the Pacific and all that, but also because it, they painted it a really interesting color. Mm. Most bridges are not interesting colors. The Golden Gate Bridge is as the iconic. It's called International Orange, by the way, for trivia fans. The name of the color of the Golden Gate Bridge, um, and the Bay Bridge is considered kind of like the shitty stepchild <laughs> version because it's just gray. <laughs> it's just this gray, boring-looking bridge. But they're building a new one. Like, there should be a contest for, like, they should make it purple or something. Like, we should all get to pick a color and have that be colorful and interesting as well. Or do a rainbow one in support of gay, gay rights. Have all kinds of, like, a rainbow-colored bridge. Why not? You can start the Kickstarter right away. I'm going to do it. You just go out there and just paint it. <laughs> yes. It's like drive by and throw paint out the window. Yeah. Just like, create like a tie-dyed bridge. That would be perfect for San Francisco. Kind of hate, kind of hate Ashbury kind of feel. I would, I would totally support that. Oh, my goodness. The petition starts today. Yeah. Um, I thought it was just super cool that it's this custom software that he runs. And this guy was standing on, on the pier on his small little netbook. Turning lights on it's, and off. It's the just bridge. the giant version of the sophisticated Christmas lights that people put up every year that are controlled by their computer. Across <laughs> a giant two mile span of a bridge. Yeah, it's it, still, it, yeah. it is very cool. You'll you see it. I mean, you, everyone will see it. We'll see it for two years. Um, oh, it's, it's up for two years? It's up for two oh, years. Wow. And is this all coming out of my pocket? Is this a taxpayer thing? No, privately funded. Okay, good. Yeah, basically no uh, problem crowdsourced in all terms right, of funding. Good job. Private donors, and, and, and I think it's like $7, 8000000 million. To do the whole thing, all right. But it's supposed to bring a lot of money into the economy, so. Well, yeah, because it becomes a tourist attraction. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I applaud it for that reason. Yeah, yeah, we can we can always use money into the city. San um, Francisco is um, not, and I don't think it's necessarily a town that is hurting for tourist dollars. But like, I always, I, I don't know if I'm right in my assumption, but I always got the impression that you know when they have hall of fames, yeah. you know how like the halls of fame are always in really like not that great places like the rock and roll hall of fame is in cleveland the baseball hall of fame is in cooperstown like do they deliberately put them in places to help kind of like places that need tourists because there's nothing else no other reason to go there there's got to be historical significance what's the historical significance of of cleveland to rock and roll oh alan what's his name though dj uh that was a big deal back then yes cleveland was a big deal in the early i always got the impression they're like well look we've got to put this thing somewhere why don't we do fucking baltimore where no one's ever going to want to go. Let's give that, let's do them a favor. Or some other city that doesn't really seem they like a great tourist the destination. Bowl. I don't think we need to do them any favors. Exactly. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, like, when they put the, when they put the uh, space shuttle in New York, I'm like, oh, great, now tourists finally have a reason to go to New York. <laughs> like, why not put that somewhere, that act like a town that could actually really use an influx of tourists for their economy? It seems to make more sense to me. Like, this, like the, New York does work. not need any more fucking tourists. There's a million <laughs> exciting reasons to go to New York. You don't need a space shuttle on top of it. It's just being greedy. <laughs> I guess. It's, it's a good point. Cities want to get more awesome. Well, and on top of that, I think with the things like the space shuttle, they want to put it where more people can see yeah. it. I mean, there is that. Like, I don't know, though. You would go. Like, if, if it's interesting enough... If it's like a rock and roll really? Hall of Fame, well, or when's the last time you went to the you know the baseball museum? Well, I'm not interested enough in baseball, or, but plenty of people that are interested in baseball will go to Cooperstown because they want to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. That's a big enough thing that is a tourist attraction all on its own. And, I mean, there's also congestion, you know, considerations and, and travel, and you know, 
it's easier for those fans, niche fans who reach certain places than others. How many people do you think would be going to Orlando if Disney World and uh, Universal Studios weren't there? <laughs> Probably not that many. No. I, I'm not exactly sure why, why those were built there either. I, like well, because the, because climate and land was cheap, but it's now yeah. you know that those, those are now those those two parks. And I would imagine predominantly Walt Disney World, pretty much I think support the the economy of Orlando, or at least a huge part of it. Yeah, retirees also. Well, yeah. Are we talking about tech? Yeah, we talk, yeah absolutely <laughs> talk about tech. We, we we I don't know if you're familiar with this podcast, but we go off on a lot of tangents. No, no, I was I was I was I was being facetious. Um, but I think that's all. That's it from the news. Do you know that else? facetious is one of the only words in the English language with all the vowels in the correct order? I think about it for a second, but okay. that, that makes that makes sense. I'm full of trivia today. <laughs> full of trivia. Can we talk about board games for a second? Yeah, we can, okay, yeah. Let's let's talk about what we're testing. We'll start with board games. But okay. let me quit, first play a transition. Okay. Lloyd, what have you been playing recently? Uh, Merchant of Venus. Ah, you brought board games to share. Yes. Uh, I brought Merchant of Venus for a couple of reasons. And this is a play on Merchant of Venice, I'm, I'm guessing. Yes, right. This was Very actually clever. a game that was designed in the, in the late 80s. It was Avalon Hill game that then... I'm not going to know the whole history of it, but there was actually two companies that decided to redo this game, and instead of and they did it at the same time, and instead of suing each other, they came to an agreement. And what's in the box is actually two games. It's a double-sided board that has a fairly faithful re replica of the classic game that was released in the 80s. And then the flip side of it is the Fantasy Flight's classic reimagining in the sense that they added a bunch of stuff, including more fiddly bits. So it's the kind of like those uh, arcade game um, uh, reboots where they yeah. let you play the classic version yeah. or the jazz And what it version. is, yeah. is you're basically a trader and you're picking up and delivering stuff and all that kind of stuff in their houses. What I wanted to show, though, was this game has a billion bits in it. So, you know, the question is how, always how you store those bits. This is what puts me off, is all these fiddly bits yeah. that come with these games. So I Monopoly have... has six tokens and that's all you all right. need cleaning up oh, well now so, you have a cat see i have yeah. two plano boxes i threw away the insert and uh this is how i store all the stuff oh and actually God. sort it by the by the different uh, size of the game crap. so it's actually it, it's actually much it's easy to organize see i have a case, theory though for people like lloyd not to not to, <laughs> not, to, not, to, not to stereotype him too much but I think I'm right in saying that part of the appeal, like, in the same way that people like tinkering with classic cars or whatever, like the actual tinkering or PC building, they like getting under the guts. That's actually part of the fun. It's not a chore. It's part of the fun of the experience. Like going out and finding the right storage boxes, that to, that's part of the appeal. You just love finding all the well, little solutions is all just part of the fun. Not every game I own requires this kind of storage. But I mean, it, it is a tr it, this game took me longer to punch out all the bits than any game I've ever owned. It's, yeah. it's phenomenal that? how many bits this comes Yeah, that's, that's, that's not a value In your house, do you me. find small bits like lying here and there underneath the couch and on the kitchen table um, after board game nights? Not usually, no. I, I usually play on surfaces with either monocolored, or usually monocolored tablecloths and... Oh, that's stuff. a pro tip. Use yeah. monocolored tablecloths. Oh, yeah. To... Floral tablecloths are death on board games because you lose... See, it's not... See, the way Lloyd plays board games, <laughs> it's probably not the way you and your young no. friends play board games where you're shotgunning beers <laughs> and smoking crack and whatever else you're doing. <laughs> and no, all your pieces are going to get lost. <laughs> you wake up the next morning with a fucking piece up your ass and you know how that got up there. Lloyd quietly and soberly puts all these pieces away when the game is done. He knows where everything is. Whereas you're having some kind of fucking... Doing the Harlem Shake while you're playing these board games, <laughs> oh, it's yeah, all gone well, horribly wrong. <laughs> I want to come in and film that. Oh, <laughs> no, we, we do when we do board game nights. It's many games at once and many different right. games. So yeah, well, I have a board game meetup. Too. I host a couple times mm. a month, and yeah, we actually have twenty people show up and play oh, a bunch wow. of different games. So. Yeah, but Merchant of Venus is is actually a really good game too. I mean, the game itself is is a lot of fun to play, whichever side. What you would want. you compare it most? And what, what type of game is it? 
It's a, called a pickup and deliver game. So what you're doing is you're first exploring the galaxy, and then you're setting up trade routes and making money. All right, well, let's go back. Is that the only board game you brought? Well, I, I did also bring, I'm not going to pull it out, but I'm going to mention it. It's called Sentinels of the Multiverse. Okay, I haven't heard of this And one. it's a co-op game. It's a card that game. That doesn't even sound real. That sounds like one that of the, like awesome, a, a fake though. board game they would make up that they would play on 30 Rock or the Big it's Bang Sentinel Theory or something. The Multiverse. Yeah, well, I have to pull the box out now. So okay. Sentinels of the Multiverse. It's a comic book game, which is not based on any That kind of looks like Battle of the Planets or something. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's um, they really well designed. It's not a deck building game because all the decks of the various heroes are pre-created, so you have the full deck. But you know, you're you're basically fighting. Everybody's cooperating and fighting against the evil villain, and it's really it's very slickly done. Co-op right games now. are fun. If you haven't played yeah. a, a co-op board game, there. And the neat thing about this one is that you can play it in 40 minutes or less each yeah. round. So that's that's good. a huge consideration. I think when they sell these board games in stores, you look at like how long it, how many players can play, and also right. how long each round typically takes. Right. And, and the rule book is only like four or six pages or something. It's very simple to figure out. I always get to those points where we try to break the rules of the board game, or someone tries to, and you right. end up everyone's on their phones searching Board Game Geek, trying to find the <laughs> right. general consensus on how to interpret these rules. Right. I, wanna, I, wa I know this isn't part of what we're testing, but I, I don't want to forget about it. And uh, I think Will and I agreed that it should be on the podcast this week because it was really interesting. But did you read this story that I posted about the guy who invented the modern way of dialing a telephone? He died recently. The button was the dial. Well, both. Really? So... All right, let's, yeah, let's quickly talk about this. So in the olden days... You used to pick up the phone and there was no dial. You would talk to an operator and say, connect me to this number or connect me to this person. Mm -hmm. And then it became a bit more, you'd say like, get me Pennsylvania 2384 or whatever it would be. Operators, there would yeah. be operators and exchanges. And then the, the idea came along that people can just pick up and just dial a number and just do it themselves and it would be automated. And there was a guy... So they put all these operators out of business. There's yeah, God, technology again. Basically. <laughs> um, but I, I wish I could remember the guy's name. I should have brought the story up, but I'm just remembering it now. But he just died uh, very recently. He was in a bit true. He was in the New York Times. He died at the age of 94. And he was um, a guy who worked at Bell Labs in like their cognitive engineering department. There was this, this genius guy whose job it was to figure out the kind of things that we still you know, ask ourselves in technology every day. Like, how can we make things... How do people interact with technology? How can we use the way people's brains are already wired to make technology easy for them to use. And again, we take it for granted now, but back in the day, someone had to figure out the question right. of, if someone's gonna have to dial a seven digit number, first of all, is it even reasonable to expect people to dial, to remember seven digit numbers? We now know that people can do that easily, but at the time, people had to, they had to research into that question. Can you remember a bunch of seven digit numbers that have no specific sequence or meaning? And then how do you best input into the phone. So the rotary dial had to be invented that was figured out to work certain ways. And then the traditional, uh, you know, the 10-digit the, the right. keypad right. that we now know, mm -hmm. he had to invent that as well. Um, and it's very interesting when you think about it, the 10-digit keypad on a phone is actually inverse to the way a calculator keypad, which had already been established. Calculator keypad is one, two, three on the bottom, four, five, six, middle row, and seven, eight, nine at top, right? Yeah. The phone is the opposite. Why, why was that? Because they, because they, after doing a bunch of human research into how people use keypads, they figured out that was the better way. Even though it, even though it went against the the only keypads that people were really used to were the ones on calculators, they went the other way. Okay. So this is all very interesting. Oh. Uh, also, things like copper wire back in the day was very very expensive, and they were trying to figuring out can we make the cable on a phone, the the actual cord that goes to the receiver, can we make it shorter? Because uh, we can make the this, this guy argued that if we can make these these cords one foot shorter and people wouldn't really notice the difference, 
uh, we could save a shitload of copper wire, and that's something we need to do right now. And the, his bosses at Bell Labs said people won't accept a, a cord that is one foot shorter. So he went around, him and his engineers went around all their offices every night and <laughs> made the cord one inch shorter every week until it was a full foot shorter and nobody okay, knew that, nobody realized it had gotten shorter until he said, yeah, your, your phone cord's actually been two feet uh, instead how, of three feet for the cord, last six weeks and you never even noticed. They were still tethered to the telephone right. like, they, are, like yeah. They, yeah. they were. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the coiled yeah. up. Right. Anyway, the whole story was, was fascinating. And he was very reviled, apparently, at the time for taking away the kind of mnemonic, the, the town-based short codes that people knew and asked people to come up with uh, seven-digit, remember, seven-digit phone numbers for everybody. So he invented the seven-digit phone number. Uh, I don't know if he invented it, but it was, it was, it was what it had to be, right. and he basically invented a so way did he to make it easy for people to remember and use those numbers. Did he resist, or did he um, incorporate the feature where you have little alphabetical letters assigned to each number? I believe that was... Um, like, so they had to think of everything, like how, how big did the keys need to be, how far apart, everything that you think of when, when we think about like product design and form factor... Right. Again, we take it for granted now, but all that stuff had to be worked out back in the day. Mm -hmm. And people had to be introduced to this whole new way of using what, to that point, was already ubiquitous technology, but was very easy to use. They didn't have to press buttons or anything, and mm -hmm. now you have to press buttons. So, yeah, I think the ABC, DEF, to the way that you can kind of mnemonicize the numbers was introduced at that same point. And then the asterisk and the pound were added uh, much later. But originally, it was a 10-digit, it, it was a nine-digit keypad, and the O zero. in the middle, where it always, the zero in the middle, where it always was in the bottom row, they had all, so many different versions of that keypad, and they had people using them all, all the time trying to figure out how people push buttons. And again, we take it for granted, but it was fascinating. Go find the uh, obituary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the New York Times. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. That's anyway, cool. I, just, I, I thought that, so that guy died, oh. and no one made a, a big deal out of it. Um, but I just thought that there's a guy who came up with something that we take for granted every day, and I thought it was yeah. worth a shout out. De definitely worth a shout out. Yeah. The guy who invented pager code, when he dies, no one's going to give him a shout out. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I still don't get pagers. Can you code. still get pages? They must still have them. Yes, they still have them. There, like, there was a time when pagers and cell phones coexisted. Speaking it's, of what we're talking about, old technology existing. I mean, pagers still exist because certain businesses require them. And adopters. Right, yeah. But in there's an interesting article in the, I think it was the New York Times this morning, about Japan and its uh, fax machine fetish. I mean, Japan. Oh, yeah, still, they're still very course. reliant on faxes. Yes, <laughs> extremely reliant. Yeah. All the yeah. businesses have these. They, they still sell like hundred million. That's why in Back to the Future Part Two, when it gets fired, <laughs> it's over fax. There was <laughs> a there was an interesting article. I think it was on Cracked. Like seven things about living in Japan that they don't that you don't realize. Uh, and one of them was like really weird. Stuff, like hospitals aren't open on the weekends and just fucked up stuff like that. But one of them, one of them was this. Yeah, be, go get get ready to go back to using faxes because everybody needs shit faxed all the time. Right. It makes no sense. And occasionally people still ask me like every now and again i mean it's, it's much less prevalent now but i mean up until very very recently i would i would often be asked like oh can you fax it to us i'm like what do you think i work in a fucking museum like no i don't have a fax I mean, it's, it's, fax have been replaced by pdfs and pdfs are like the saving grace of adobe because we're using pdfs more more so than ever now right as the you know, legal documents and encrypted ones and mm -hmm. authorized signatures and stuff. Right. But I mean, they still, I think you can go into an Office Max and buy a fax machine still. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they do still make them. Well, yeah. I mean, every printer is still a fax too, practically. Every all-in-one printer has a fax capability built into it. Right, but if you have a regular printer, you, you can't tap into a phone, I mean, unless you plug it into the phone line and yeah, you have to have a phone number right. to receive the fax. Yeah. Yeah, that's just grim. I recently got rid of my phone number for my house because I realized after a year, two years of having Comcast service, Triple play, I never once used the phone line. Oh, I still use my landline all the time. 
use your landline. I like. Yes. The, I still like the security of a landline. The security um, or partly like part of the reason. No, part of the reason I use a landline is that when I'm in the basement, I get like one bar. Mm, so reliability. yeah, it's reliability. I would probably you know if, if I ever spent money on a cell repeater at some point, maybe I'd replace it then. But yeah, I mean there's 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 another technology that probably won't be around much longer. Cell repeaters, we had them in the old office, um, more in a basement. I mean, they weren't that great back mm -hmm. then even. Right. Uh, do you know how they go, good are they now? There's actually multiple companies making them now, so I'm hoping they've improved it. But I haven't really looked into it recently. All right, I'm going to go quickly bounce back, back up. Yeah, kick back up. Kick back up. we got all the sound effects today. <laughs> even blows out. Um, Lloyd, you, do you want to talk about a, a sound card? An actual sound card, yes. That you've um, been testing. You know, people... Still use sound cards, oddly enough. Although they've become, become like vinyl record players, they become more premium now, devices. My my most recent PC build, I didn't bother putting a sound card. Right, and most people don't. You, you don't really need a discrete sound card. Most people don't need it. Um, now, Creative Labs is still selling sound cards. So, know, what's they, the point of having one? So, uh, well, audio files. What they they want audio files by them now because. Oh, I thought you meant to play audio files. No, no, no. I no, can no. do that. Audio files like people who are crazy about the sound quality of their right. audio. Right. Right. And. But I, I don't really want to talk about the sound card in general. I mean, what, what was interesting about this one sound card is that Creative Labs is, will now ship this beam-forming microphone, either in a little discrete microphone thing or it's built into a volume control knob they sell with the higher-end ones. And the thing is amazing because I, you, can, you can sort of focus the beam with their software, and I have it sitting next to a speaker on my desktop, and I get no feedback. So oh, wow. I don't use a headset anymore. It's just that good. I mean, it's good, it's, good enough for podcasting. Oh, uh, I think it's good enough for casual podcasting. I mean, right. it probably wouldn't Skyping make Will happy. And, yeah, it's, but for, but it's for, beautiful for Skyping. I mean, Skyping, I, it was great. It's for like, like, like in-game chat and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It's That's all right. Good. So it's yep. directional mic, and yeah. how you how can actually can adjust. Do? You can narrow it to about ten degrees, or widen it to one hundred eighty. I mean, it's, it's, and when you move out of the ten degrees, you. It, the it, yeah, it goes off. away. There's this great demo that uh, you, you know Phil O'Shaughnessy from Great Labs. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he did where he was holding a hair dryer, and you couldn't hear the hair dryer even though it was running. Wow, that's, that's cool. Ridiculous. So, yeah. Oh wow, and the fact that's built into a volume control knob is, is really creative. Right. So I, I, I just want creative. Yep. All right, I like it, but yeah. I still don't feel like I need a sound card. <laughs> um, I think that's the end of our list. I want to talk about um, the fuel ban. We talked about this earlier. I stopped using the fuel band, the Nike fuel band, and it's it's the battery thing. I mean, we talked about the uh, the Google uh, Next for charging orb. Now, what do you use it for when you used it? When I use it primarily as a watch. Okay. And then, but the pedometer aspect was a, a nice bonus. Okay. And the fact that it could wirelessly sync to my phone, okay. the app also helped. Right. Um, but having to charge it every couple days, every other day in some cases, because I was checking it a lot was not fun at all. Okay. The last thing we needed was more things to So charge. what did you replace it with? I, I don't have one okay. to replace it with. Yeah. You don't have a pedometer of any kind? No. Okay. No. I use a Garmin 410 whenever I was doing running. Did that track um, just just distance? Or? Well, there's it just several things. It, it's a GPS watch, so it does track okay. distance. And GPS, so you, you can actually, months. if you wanted to, add this external foot pod device that's wireless that then track gait and strides and all that kind of stuff hmm. if you really wanted that. Now, it but it also had the same problem, though. You had to charge every two or three days. Yeah. Um, and then on my, on my, but I've been doing more road bike riding than running. Really, and I've got a Garmin 500 series for that. I didn't. Uh, it didn't show up in time for this week. And I think it's going to sh uh, show up today. But in terms of what we're testing, I'm, I am excited, and hopefully we'll talk about it next week. Uh, the Mophie Helium, yeah, which is the charging case for the iPhone 5. Uh, now the charging cases and a lot of the accessories for the iPhone 5 have been really slow to come on stream right. because they changed the connector. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Apple was very forthcoming with helping third parties, you mm -hmm. know, 
adopts that new mm -hmm. connector. Right. So it took a lot longer for Mophie, which is, I, th I guess, kind of the leader in like, iPhone charging leader. cases. Yeah, they're like the in-case for cases that yeah. like, Mophie is like... For, yeah, for they're, 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 they've been very popular. You see them a lot. Uh, like road warriors have their phones in Mophie cases. It's like yeah. a, basically a case that goes around the battery. A, a, a typical case. It looks sleep. a bit bulky because it's got a battery right. built into it. Right. And there's a little switch at the bottom. And when your phone starts to get really low on charge, press a button on the case and it refills the phone battery. So you get like two right. charges in one. Now, why is it that every subsequent version of iOS seems to reduce the battery life? Is, is, is it my imagination? Or I haven't noticed that, but I do hear people complaining about it. I think... I think people stop testing battery life mm -hmm. the way they do when phones first come out. Everyone does, you know, your battery right. run down when mm -hmm. the first when phone comes out. But then over the lifetime of a phone, half a year, a full year, your battery will get drained, um, and which is why that that's one of the reasons people change upgrade their phones every two years because the battery life just doesn't go as far anymore. Um, I don't know. I don't know. If anyway, I'm excited to get my hands on it because I do have charge anxiety, even at like any <laughs> like. Even at like 65, 60%, I start to think, I start to think about like, how much longer am I going to be out today? Is this going to run out on me? Do I have to ration my usage? Yeah. Yeah. Can I just be... I um, carried around an external pack when I was going to trade. Right, and that's, and, that, and that's another way to go. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't use it a lot, but like, especially when you go to conventions or whatever and you're out all day mm -hmm. and maybe into the evening and you don't, you're not necessarily going to get to a charge point, a case like that is a, is a lifesaver. Right? Mm -hmm. A friend of mine lent me there. Charger at one of the had one of those portable chargers at CES uh, last year, and it's a, I was oh my god, it's a lifesaver. There must be a high correlation between people with charge anxiety <laughs> and people who check their Twitter and email incessantly. Yeah, I think the two go together. Yeah, and right. because I if I'm on a trip and I'm away from a computer, I am checking my email nonstop. Yeah, and, you're, and, and of course that reduces that drains yeah, the battery yeah. Yeah. faster, yeah. and then I get charged. But once you put that yeah. case, and it, now it's a bit. I think the case because it, it has to have a battery in it. It's it's bulky and heavy. Um, so you, you sacrifice some of that, but I, so I wouldn't carry it around with me all day. But again, if I'm going on a trip, um, again, even though I may not use it, it, it's it's to me worth it to not have the anxiety. Absolutely. Well, we can't wait. So I'll, I'll be testing it over the coming days and maybe come back on and, and see. Uh, I'm glad see how it worked. The black one came out first. And the white right. one had to wait. Yeah, the white one went wait a lot longer. Yeah, we got the black phones. Um, so that will do it for us for today. Uh, I don't know if Will will be back next week. So um, Will had appendicitis. He did have appendicitis. I was going to wait for, uh, until fake outtakes, but he had the worst stomach ache ever, apparently. Yeah. And if you have the worst stomach ache you've ever had in your life... You should probably call someone. You should check right. the doctor. He got a CAT scan, and then he had his appendix taken out. Okay. They caught um, it before it burst. That's good. Yeah. And yep. he, he had, the, I think, the macro surgery where you don't even get, like, scars. Like, they do some crazy thing where... I don't even know how it works, but um, it, yeah, it, it, they do a little slit, and then yeah. they go in with this tube, and, and it yeah, anyway. goes in, yeah. they yank it out, and it's, it's modern technology. Gross! It's gross. But we'll be back <laughs> next week uh, with another episode of This Is Only a Test. Um, I'm saving questions for next week as well, or or the week after when I can queue up all the technical difficulties. There again, there's no one here. Yeah, a little bit staff. bare bones. Yep. Um, but you'll f we'll have some great videos on the site and great content, and we'll we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much, Lloyd. Sure thing. And thank you, Gary. All right. This week, we'll see you guys next time. Hi there. I didn't see you. That's it. It's four inches. Oh my god. They look swollen and puffy. It's all the way in. That's it. I have no I idea. I like that one. What, that was a reference. <laughs> I feel like right? that was from three different things, but they uh, cobbled it together in a way that gave it some some fun mm, context. Yeah, because it was like it was like you were talking about a penis. <laughs> I think that was the joke. Yeah. <laughs>
It's funny because it's about a body part that we're ashamed of. <laughs> As a society. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And rightly so. <laughs> um, anything else you guys want to talk about? Uh, what kind of thing? What fake outtakes? What do we usually talk about? We haven't had legitimate fake outtakes in, in a long time. I got married. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations. I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. And Norm was uh, was my uh, wedding our wedding photographer. I was. Um, it was extremely. I want. Hey, it's, it, this is actually a good topic because Lloyd's into photography, and I had never done anything like wedding photography before. And this was nothing like and wedding this photography. And this is not. And this is right. not. This, we just wanted someone to like snap some pictures. That you want some memories yeah. that you could you know, post online. Yeah. And you can maybe but our wedding was nice very, picture. very low key. Like we literally just went to city hall and stood in front of a judge for like it took five minutes. Not right. even that. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. we were in and out. So it was very no guests or anything. Just a couple of witnesses. And we I added just bonus. Got it done. I got signed the certificate. Was that the certificate? Yeah. yeah well, you were an official witness. I was an official witness. All right. For your wedding. Yeah. So, so what did you shoot with? I actually shot, just shot with a mirrorless camera. Okay. The NEX, um, which is a great camera. It's totally, oh, okay. totally a good camera. Um, and the lighting uh, was fine in City Hall because there's a lot of natural light. It was the middle of the day. Yeah, they, they have um, a beautiful kind of rotunda okay. type yes, area. But I was freaking out because, uh, you know, this is a situation where nothing is under my control. Where, you know, people are moving around, people are smiling, but you don't want to miss any of these moments. And I didn't want to interrupt or anything. Right, you've just kind of got to be there. Right. Kind of hide and dance around and capture these moments yep. and you don't want any blurry images so I gotta I had to give up some of the things I normally would have wanted to control more like the image mm -hmm. quality right. and, and the shutter speed and stuff like that and sacrifice that to for the for the benefit of the, the, the event moment. Yep. yeah the moment so the camera's good but it's not made for these type of right. situations to, to get like the lasting memories like what would you have taken to uh, oh god! You know what, Lloyd? Lloyd would have shown up looking like a fucking combat photographer. Well, no, no. I, actually, I would have probably shown up with just one lens. I mean, but I would have shown one up with lens. like one, my DSLR and probably twenty-four to seventy. Okay, so you can zoom, still get some zoom, get yeah. one wide shot. But it's f two eight, so you know it's uh, okay. And the nice thing about that is not so much that it's low light, which is one benefit of it, but as you can fool around with uh, um, the aperture, you can fool around with depth of field, so you can get those mm -hmm. effects where you isolate the face from the background. Right. And kind of right. And even when you zoom all the way to seventy. You know, it's not too late all the way to 70. Right, right. You, you, yeah. And actually, I'd probably shoot mostly at 70 anyway because right. if you shoot wide angle and you're close up, you get that distorted face thing. Right. You don't, you don't do want to do that at somebody's no, wedding. No, no absolutely like, not. You definitely want to get frame it nicely and, and, and zoom in nicely. Um, yeah, we saw someone who else getting there. Uh, their wedding. They had a photographer who actually looked much more pro. Like had full camera bag had, equipment, DSLR with a big two lens. Two DSLRs and, and like the camera tracks and was doing like the putting one camera up and then flipping around taking the other camera up so yeah. you have to switch lenses. Yeah. Yeah. That's, what, that's what you get if you're willing to pay money right. for a photographer. Whereas yeah. I just like, was like, let's just get Norm. Ryan Davis asked me. Who is having an actual real wedding. a real wedding. With, with guests and everything. He asked me if I would take photos for his wedding and I had to turn him down. Because, <laughs> because the, the pressure no is too much. way yeah. that I could do you all have a, You know, things. one of the interesting trends about tech in wedding photography and actual wedding, professional wedding photography yeah. is that they come there and shoot your photos and all that stuff and then they give you an iPad. Instead of the paper album now. Oh, they just give you an iPad. Right. Like that's part of the price of the thing, yeah. Well, that's cool. those, those photographers cost a fortune. We did like live stream it. Leah's dollars. mother, who couldn't be there because she lives on the other side of the country, where uh, our yeah, other FaceTime. friend Logan was, yeah. recorded the whole thing. Well, not recorded it, but broadcast it all on FaceTime. So she was able FaceTime to, to over, kind of be a, she was like a virtual guest at the wedding. He couldn't figure awesome. it out, though. And it was very, very yeah. quick. I mean, our judge was a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, boom, done. He said he has like... He, did, he said on a busy six, day, they do six every hour, which is one every 10 minutes. an hour. And you get to pick where in City Hall you get yeah. to have it done. Yeah. Wow. So it's, yeah. It's, that's I mean, a lot of, a a lot of people just getting married, like 
Great. And most people dressed up, dressed up a little bit more and had flowers and, you know, yeah. Yeah. but it's but it's still a boom, 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 real quick. We, I like it. We didn't want to make a fuss or when anything. When we got married on the boat, we got the captain to do it for us. That was great. Oh. Yeah. That's right, because they can do it. And when our friend uh, Dave, um, he had uh, he had our friend Ryan do it for him. Dave got married. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, that, that's, that's a common thing. I, I know a few friends that have been married by... The friends. Fred, the, the, the you friend go online, go online get, get the certificate, do the thing, and you can be a great thing. That be a just like or whatever. being a notary is right. a, a good skill to have. You can yeah. officially notarize things and get a stamp, and you know, being able to officiate weddings is also got to be a, a good skill to have. It's a, it's a good skill to have. Yeah, it's up there with playing one good song on the piano. Oh my my, uh, we're talking family stuff. My daughter got to do something cool. She so at UCLA they had the uh, they had a little conference on the Mars rover thing. Okay, and she, she got to interview the guy who ran the program. Oh, stuff like cool. that. So yeah, at JPL. Oh. Well, that was the yeah. The, he's from JPL, but mm-hmm. they were the the conference at UCLA. Was it was it the Mohawk guy? I d- no no. He's not. He's, he's the, the guy in charge. Guy. Oh, um, and then he also do, do not care. Yeah right. So um, <laughs> she had to talk to Buzz Aldrin and all that stuff. Oh, oh that's that's, that's cool. definitely cool. Is, is Buzz Aldrin was kind of a. He wasn't the one that became a senator, but he's he's he. I mean. That's uh, that's the other, other John guy. Glenn. John Glenn. I think of John Glenn. Yes, I think of John Glenn. But but Buzz Aldrin is everywhere now. Yes, yeah, right. Like, there were photos of him at the Super Bowl. He was um, he was in Transformers. Yep. And he's, they're doing a new version of Buzz Aldrin's Raises in Space. Have you heard of this? Are they really? Yes. For oh, the, I'm, I'm for the excited iPad. about that. What is for the tablets and I think that's why that was one of my favorite so games. Buzz Aldrin. Era. It's actually a reboot, not a complete, not a, not, not the old code being re-released. Right. And and so they're doing it from scratch. But Buzz Aldrin's Raises in Space was this game where you manage the space program. And to go to the moon, and I suspect they'll have a different context. Manage now, it like a like you were, like, you know, you had to do the research, had to allocate the resources, so train the astronauts. Game dev story, but astronauts. Yes, yeah, that's right. Speaking of that, have you have you played Arcade Craft yet? I have not. You should check it out. Okay. you'd like that as well, Lloyd. Arcade Craft. It's, like, it's not an XBLA proper, but it's in the the, the Xbox like indie games. Right. It's called Arcade Craft. And it's three, you manage an arcade? It's $3, and you build and manage a 1980s video arcade. Oh, okay. Oh, do you actually get to play the games? That no, have... you don't get to play the games, oh, but, the, but the little machines that have all the sights and little sound effects and stuff, they're all really good like replicas of like 80s video games machines. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 you can smell the kind of the nostalgia <laughs> of like being in a musty old 1980s video arcade. Yeah, I saw the trailer, which was But you get, to, you get to buy the machines and set the prices, the difficulty right. of the games. You know, put in the soda machine. It's you know, like Game Dev Story or like Theme Park, one of those old style you know management games. Hopefully, more like that than like like a Diner Dash. I've been playing a little bit of Battle of the Bulge on iOS, which is what, a, what is that? Battle of the Bulge is a war game, but hmm. it's extremely accessible. It's not like you know a Grognard war game. And one of the interesting features of it, though, is that you know, so you're playing either the Allies or the Germans yeah. during the Battle of the Bulge. One of the interesting features is that one of the resources is time, and by that. So you take your turn, and a certain amount of time passes. But that certain amount of time may be different depending on what you do. It's not a fixed amount of time. So you know you say, "Oh, good, that only took an hour. I have plenty of time." Or, "Oh my God, that took half a day. I'm screwed." You know. So you, it's, it's very interesting the way they sort of build that ratchet of attention just by varying the amount of time things take to happen. Speaking of those classic Sims and war games, my my favorite game of that era, which I I don't know if there's a version of it you can currently get, but I would love to see this as like if they did, did if they did like an iOS remake of this, I'd be all over it. Lloyd, I don't know if you remember. You're too young for sure, but I don't know if you remember remember or ever played if it was in the US a game called Theater Europe. Only vaguely. I was not into the hardcore war games. It wasn't really hardcore. I, I didn't really find it hard. If I could play it, it certainly wasn't hardcore. But it was basically it came out in the 80s and it was 1980s, full on NATO versus Warsaw uh-huh. Pact okay. war wow. in Europe, for control of the European theater, and you had full power to unleash nuclear weapons 
but it was but it was very much a um a kind of a political statement as well which is interesting for a video game uh, that basically there was no way to use nuclear weapons and win. You would always trigger all-out nuclear annihilation. And so, but, the, but the temptation was always still there. And you could try to do a, lim- you could do a limited nuclear strike, tactical nuclear strike in the theater, or you could do global strategic nuclear strike across like, all the cities of the world. But it would always... And back in the day, there was a phone number you had to call to like, get authorization, like, a, real, a real world phone number you'd have to call right. to get the authorization code to launch nuclear weapons. That's the best part. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But it, was a real, but it was a really fun, basic kind of unit management in the European theater. But the, but the shadow that hung over it always was like, oh, I'd be so tempted just to nuke that unit. But as soon as you, there would always, always, always be nuclear retaliation see, to everything that you this did. This is something that some, someone should adopt that model. Have, you know, in Rest Legacy or something where if you're going to go take the nuclear option, you gotta call a number on your cell phone, <laughs> or sync up an app and get like two confirmation codes, right. oh, lock yeah. the suitcase, both gotta turn your key at the same yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. I used to, yeah. I used to have this really uh, when I used to play um, Command and Conquer Red Alert. Uh, I used to play with Billy Holmes and those guys at the PC Gamer office, and we we'd be in a um, in an alliance, like we'd both be on the same side. <laughs> oh, no, but like no. I would always massively overreact to any kind of mistake. Was like, like I think Billy again when you're both in the same side, you can still control target a friendly unit to attack yeah. it. And Billy, exact, perfectly by accident, like had one of his little infantry guys shoot one of my other. And he's like, "Oh shit, I'm really sorry, I did that." And I'm like, "Right," and I just nuked his entire base <laughs> or ion cannoned his base. I can't remember, but I, there, was, there was always like massive overreaction to any perceived slight. <laughs> I'm not a good person to play those games with because I will betray you and kill you anytime. But man, oh yeah, there's got to, I'm going to get a tweet later. Someone's okay. going to say, oh, there's like a great Flash so version of Theater that you can to, play or something. I have to pimp another board game. And I have to be honest, is I've only read the rules, mm-hmm. uh, but I've, I haven't played the game yet. But it's like the highest rated game on Board Game Geek. It's called Twilight Struggle. And it's a board game simulation of the Cold War. And you I like pay, that. You pay, it's a two-player game. You either play the Soviets or the, or the, the uh, US. And it's kind of card-driven. Uh, but there's only one deck of cards. So, you know, you sort of have this tension of some cards you get are bad for you, even though they're your cards. And you hold on to them or you play them right away to get the bad stuff out of the way. Or they might be good for you. Anyway, it's, it's a very tense game and the, and, and the theme is well executed. You really feel the way the th- game ratchets up, it really feels that tension between the two players. That, they that sounds great. I would call that. Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle. That sounds really good. I got it because I want to play with my daughters who have no concept of the Cold War. And, and <laughs> it really kind of covers that for you. Uh, yeah, again, talking about kids growing up with different exercises, you never grew up f- fearing nuclear destruction, did you? No, but the globe I had in my <laughs> elementary school uh, did, still had the Soviet Union on it. Um, that's not the same thing, Norm. Not the same. <laughs> it said USSR on it? It said USSR. Yeah. And they had to, tr- they had to get That's more common on school budgets than anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, we, we uh, and obviously Lloyd remembers it as well, but yeah, like in the 80s when I was in school, yeah, we had, they made us watch... Uh, did they make you watch the day after? Did they make the kids watch the day after in school? We had our own version of it called Threads, which was about nuclear war. Well, and uh, it fucking terrified me. And all kids of my generation grew up constantly terrified. I, 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 it was like it's like the monster under the under the bed, but right. your parents can't tell you it's not real because it fucking was real. It was scarier have, than the monster under the s- bed. But it was actually a real thing. I have a personal story about that that I don't remember all the details because I'm like seven at the time. But I was living in Germany. My dad was in the army, and at one point, uh, the, the things got tense enough that we actually evacuated. We had to like go down to mm-hmm. a little basement, pick up our two cases of sea rations, load them in the car, and, and drive somewhere. And then it's like I have this vague memory of doing that. And That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's different times. Fun. Different times. Lloyd, do you have a, you have an iPhone? I do. Do you have it with you? Yes. Have you guys played Space Team? Gary, you introduced no. me to this, and I yeah. do not. Play I love it. Space I Team. I think we should 
finish this podcast out. No, we shouldn't play Space Team. That just sounds I've like a never bet. I haven't it. played it with three yet. I've That's only played it with two. Like, but the more players you add, exactly. the more fun it is. So the idea is that it's um, it's like the bridge simulator. Oh, uh, okay. But with iPhone. Okay. And it's simplified. So you know everyone has different right. roles, and you're supposed to yell things to each other. The idea is, so an instruction will come up on my phone, right? Like, and it will say like, "Raise the shields." or redirect power to engines or whatever. The commands get sillier as you go on. But the point is that that command is either something that is on my console or it's going to be on one of theirs. And if it's not on mine, I have to shout it out so uh, that one of you can respond. So basically, you have, you have three or four people shouting each other things like, right. decombulate the flip-floppers. And it just, it just go, it goes on for it. It gets oh, more and more you know the, crazy. The Artemis Bridge Simulator is, is now on iPad. Yeah. I'm excited about that. We got we to gotta do it. And I believe it's on uh, Steam Greenlight as well. We got to play that then. Yeah, we're, we're, but we have to do a proper. Let's setup. do let's do a, a separate. We could do a separate space team thing once. We, we, yeah. But we need to get up we need to speed get, on. Yeah, it. we need and, and okay. more players too. I think more than three. Four is four for space team and Artemis does how many? Up to six. Six. Yeah. I'm very. I love well, Artemis. Yeah, we played Artemis recently. Artemis. That was a blast. Yeah. Did you do it with a full setup like a like a, like a HUD and we could do it here. This could be our bridge. I yep, see because we could have you know we have a TV down there that could be our on screen and then yep. Joey could superimpose what we're seeing behind us. Yep. And yeah. This is something that needs to be done properly, not just thrown okay. in at the end. Yeah. All right. We'll do both Space Team and the Artemis. But it's worth. You should download it and, and check it out. I, I will. Think, yeah, I think we'll, can, we can hail Will at home with Skype and uh, <laughs> and see how he's doing. And eventually panels and things start breaking off and it becomes harder and harder to read what is going on on the screen. Yeah, it gets more and more chaotic. The ship starts, you know, to break, break. It's one of those things you have to have friends play. There's a lot, basically, just a lot of shouting at each other, which <laughs> you know is what all great, great video games are about. All right. Well, all right. I, that will f really do it for us then. Um, thank you guys again for coming in, and uh, we'll we'll see everyone next time. All right. Bye. Bye.